Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chembalewski as we continue Movie May with our Occasionalist Short Film Festival. Chema, how you doing today, man? Everything's very, very great, dude. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, just really looking forward to diving into our last installment here. Um, it's been a really fun month going through all these short films, going through uh, both of our uh, selections and, and kind of breaking apart the things that we liked and didn't like about them. Um, this has definitely been a fun thought experiment. I, I, it kind of, it, it, this definitely like rekindled my love for short films. Yeah, dude, I got to tell you, man, this was a really great idea for Movie May. I thought it was like a very, very fresh idea, even though we're just like reviewing short films and stuff. And I, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about today's episode, man. Like this was, this was quite a treat, like just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing um, that just happened to coincidentally also premiere volume two during our short right. film movie May month. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We are winding down this month with really the only option that we had for like a collection of short films to go through. Uh, and that is, uh, we're talking about Netflix's love, death and robots um, season one debuted, I think in 2019 it was before, prior to the pandemic and season two just dropped literally last weekend. Um, so it's uh, that's pretty fresh in our minds, but I think this is a really good way to finish off um, this version of movie may. Like I said, there's, this is like one of only two things that I can even think about where we can just take a block of, of short films all at once and, you know, sift through them and, you know, take them, take them on their own because I mean, obviously there's a theme to it hence the title of the fucking show, but for sure, like as you as you go through the season one and two, but especially season one, um, you know these films are all on their own. They're they're mm -hmm. definitely they're definitely they're definitely like little individual slices of of a, of a bigger piece, but they're not necessarily related to each other. If that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense, dude. And I gotta tell you, I'm very happy because this actually gave me the opportunity to watch Netflix, like which I had done for the first time in God knows how long. After, like, as I was first turning on the to start up watching this, I realized, I'm like, man, when was the last time I watched Netflix? Like, they mm -hmm. really haven't put out anything that's caught my eye lately. I don't know. I think the other streaming services have maybe been doing a better job. So I was not only is this a good opportunity for us to review a collection of short films about love, death and robots, but it's also an opportunity for me to use my Netflix account for the first time in forever. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's, that's actually an interesting little side point there that we just, I, I think it's because Netflix probably got hit the hardest with other production delays last year. Yeah. But that's why we're just not seeing anything new from them. Cause I, I feel very certain that we would otherwise already have watched uh, stranger things for. Yeah. That's and, a good point. Amongst other things. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's like their production shut down and then like everybody else launching a streaming service in the meantime too. like Netflix hasn't had a good year. <laughs> no, no. Well, they have, but <laughs> not as good money, as money wise. Yeah. yeah. Right. No. <laughs> But anyway, so there you go. We're talking about Love, Death, and Robots. Um, there are two seasons of this. So to start off, we're just going to get into a quick sort of um, a season one versus season two kind of contrast and comparison little exercise here before we dive into the specifics. So Chema, give me a short explainer for how you would how you view uh, the differences between seasons one and two. Okay, so like the best way that I can explain this is almost like the difference between me as an early 20 year old in my early twenties and me like in my early thirties. And 
it's like in my early twenties, it's like, yeah, like I'm there, it's young, it's, it's something fresh, it's new. I feel great and everything. But like at the same time, I'm kind of like lost, you know, like there's no real like identity for me. Adam Chmielewski hasn't really like developed a brand yet. So I put that kind of like see like volume one and then volume two, I feel is a show that is has either discovered its identity outright or is damn near close to it and is really like on the verge of establishing like their brand, their product is something that is truly unique and special. Uh, Chema, that is really well put. And we literally almost had the exact same thought (laughs) 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 that I, I, Chema, I, I, I would, I would qualify it as this, that like something about season one feels immature. Whereas season two is definitely coming from a viewpoint of someone, uh, but obviously it's multiple people, but it's coming, but the, the showrunner, um, I mean, it's credited still to Tim, Tim Miller and David Fincher, but I guess the season two showrunner was Jennifer U. Nelson is really in charge of most of it. And Mm -hmm. it feels, it feels like there is, it feels like her vision is one of someone a little bit more mature and has a better handle on what she wanted to do. And easily, and you can definitely feel that. Like I, I, season one is something when I was like 16, maybe 16 to 22, 23 that I'd be like, dude, you got to fucking check this out. This, this shit is fucking wild. And when I go through season two now, when I just went through season two last weekend, I was, I was definitely more interested in the more. I found myself much more riveted by the things that they were trying to say through the stories versus what they were trying to show me. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, definitely. The, um, season two, I would say, had a lot more to say than to show. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I guess we're probably going to be in agreement here, but uh, were these changes for the better? Oh, I could, I, yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. And without kind of getting into some of the other questions and everything, just trying to stay a little bit into the outline, the changes were definitely for the better. There's not really anything that they made change-wise that I would say would be for the worst. And we'll get into some of those specifics here in a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I definitely am with you on that. This, the second season is, it just, it looks and feels more polished. And obviously we kind of mentioned it before and like you, I'm not going to get too far into this. It just feels like there's a more mature perspective in all yeah. the, in all the shorts than there was in season one. So, yeah, there's literally no, de- there's no dead weight in season two whatsoever. Like I, I think season one, has got has got some dead weight in there. Oh, for sure. See, I mean, literally, it's half the length of yeah. of season one. So, I mean, it's 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 less than half in episode count. It's eighteen episodes or eighteen short films in the first one, eight in the second one. Um, they're all on average longer in the second one, in the second mm-hmm. season, but it's still like accounts for like less than half the time. So. Yeah, oh, definitely. I noticed that, too. Yeah, yeah. The, the timing-wise and everything, for sure. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Let's, then let's get into that. Specifically, um, the most notable adjustments that you, you, kinda, you kind of saw from seasons one to two. Okay, so obviously the, the less episode thing, that is the first and foremost. That is, like, the most important thing. And, mm-hmm. like, when I said dead weight before, like, I, there's everything in here, believe me, no matter what, dude. If I was had written this, produced it, drew the stuff, sat on a computer, I'd, I'd be so proud, okay? Like, there's nothing here that is, like, you know, it's nothing to be proud of. There's just some things in the first season that I feel were like a little out of place. There's probably really only like one or two like 
what I think are outright clunkers, but there's way more things that are out of place in terms of what I feel the brand of Love, Mm -hmm. Death, and Robots is. So by making the the less episodes, they not only trim the fad, but they, I think, better define exactly what the show is supposed to be. Yes. And and so that is like a big time thing with the, um, with the, the episode count. And then my um, my other two ones, which um, I actually I really dug this about season two. Uh, season two was not as sexualized as the first season was. Mm-hmm. Th- there was definitely like um, a lot more like sexual, whether it be intercourse, imagery, um, places you go to, you know, situations and stuff like that. Um, there, there was a lot of that going on in season one, and I don't think that there was any of it in season two. Um, Maybe like just a one, couple of just things. Just one legit sex scene, and it wasn't, it definitely compared to what it would have been in season one was way toned down. Yeah, oh yeah, and this the um the snow in the desert yep. Uh, yep. love scene, right? You mm-hmm. bet. Oh okay, yeah, that, that's it, yep, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. It's way more toned down than what would have been a season one. And then um the other thing too, which like I, I think that this worked as well in um in favor of season two was it it wasn't as bloody, gory, or horror-y as the first mm-hmm. season was. Mm-hmm. And um like there's nothing wrong with sci-fi horror, there's nothing wrong with regular horror, but when I hear the phrase like love, death and robots, I, I don't necessarily think that. And believe me, I'm totally cool with like a surprise. Oh, my God, this is a really awesome sci fi horror short film. Mm-hmm. B- but season one had a little bit too much of that. Yeah. And like um, season two had none of it, really. I mean, the, the Christmas one might be like the closest thing to sci- sci- fi horror that's out, that's out right. there, at least in, in, my, in my opinion, anyway. But um, and once again, by removing this horary element or toning it down, it again positions the show to better define themselves and to better establish their identity because the identity that I think that they're going for is hands down one of the most unique things on television that we have. But in terms of like just throwing a bunch of stuff out there with it being lost kind of like it was in the first one. I think what they did in season two is a little bit better. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think I, I want to go back to something you hit on here. It's it's obviously significantly less sexualized and, and because it's less sexualized season two is way, way less misogynistic. Um, it is season one is definitely told you could, t- I mean, obviously, again, these are all separate short films with, with different ideas behind them, but like there is a very clear male gaze that it's trying to satisfy in the first season. Um, I, I mean, like the sex scenes are, you know, although we do see our, a healthy share of fucking CGI dongs in, um, in season one, um, like a, a surprising amount. A lot of the more lasting images of the sexuality in it are significantly ogling women's bodies, like to bizarre degrees. Um, It's there is no other way to put it that like it it feels that's I think this goes back to the immaturity thing. This feels like something that like an 18 year old animator would have made. Right. Like check out this chick's big tits, man. Yeah. Like it, it had a feeling like that. And right. season two definitely cut all of that out. Even the sex scene isn't doesn't have that sort of feel to it. Oh, of course, man. And like the when you're watching season one, and like I, I'll, I'll tell you outright that when I watched it, um, I didn't watch them in order. Netflix gave them to me in like this random kind of thing. I saw it, all it of resh- them. But it not- reshuffled some of them. 
um, from the okay. last time I watched it, I swear to God, it's not in the same order. Okay, so it's not just you two. Okay, cool. Yeah, I noticed that when I'm going cross-referencing the list I made and stuff. I'm like, what? Is, like, no, this isn't supposed to be here. Right. But um, so it kind of gave off this. Um, this is what I kind of like. What came into my mind. If you've ever seen um, television shows that are on HBO, Showtime, or Stars that yeah. are really sexualized shows, like the, the default example I always go to is Californication. Mm-hmm. When they were adver- when they were advertising Californication in the beginning, it's basically like, oh, hey, watch Duchovny bang all these people, and oh, he's so hot, oh, they're so hot, watch them do it. He fucks up, but he still bangs. Like they really, really emphasize this like sexual element is almost like a way to like hook viewers in and stuff like that. Who wants to dude? I'd watch David to come be bang hot chicks. But, um, then as you get further and further into the show and as the show like grows and develops, that is completely left out of the marketing thing. I mean, mm-hmm. even by like season three, they had abandoned the whole like watch David Duchovny, like do people kind of um, angle of the show right. and stuff. And so I feel that that's kind of like maybe what happened between seasons one and two, where they're like, yeah, maybe we don't want to be anime porn show. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, we don't need to do that. Like, we're trying to go for something better here. And it's not that like sex can't be a part of it, but we don't necessarily want to be the show where people go to to look at CGI boobs. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and and just one more thing here. Um, I, I the the story arcs are significantly more complete in season two. Significantly more. <laughs> Um, it, it, it does, it makes them feel just a little bit, it, it gives me like a little bit more sense of resolution in every single story while there's a few of them in, there's a few of them in the, in the first season that really a had no story arc whatsoever. Um, and, and any kind of attempt at character building or story building was very, very slim. And in season two, it feels like they, as much as they could in the short film format, it feels like they beefed up the story quite a bit. Yeah, I'll tell you, there were way more complete stories in season two, which once again, I think just lends to season two being just a better product in general. And like season one, like almost like I'm not going to say that this is what happened in the production room, but it almost is kind of like, hey, we'll give you guys some money, make a short film and like maybe somebody will pick it up. So it's almost like they wrote some of these to be like specifically unfinished or uncompleted arcs, you know, like with the opportunity that like, hey, this is a big thing for Netflix. It's a big thing for us. Like, what if we sell something here? Let's give somebody something they can buy. Yeah, exactly. So and since these are, you know, these are short film anthologies, I guess it doesn't really matter which you know which season you start with or even for that matter which which uh, episode you start with so what would you recommend which season would you recommend people start with okay i gotta tell them do what i did start with season two i started on it completely on accident like i swear i went to click on season one on my episode list and like because they divided that up in the episode list but when at the top of the list was automated customer service it went through season two and then kicked into season one so I have, I think that that's the way to go. Actually go with season two first. Um, you'll get to see the bet, the better of the two seasons, like early on. And then I think as when you get into the first season a little bit, I think like now that you kind of have this idea of what the show is about, I think you'll be able better to like make your assessments as mm-hmm. to like which ones you don't like. And so if you want to skip over, uh, one that you know right away you're maybe not feeling i think that you as a viewer are now familiar enough with the territory to be like okay yeah i'm pretty sure i didn't this much exactly that's that's exactly how i put it um that it, it's sort of there's nothing wrong with seeing there's nothing wrong with seeing the the finished product if you have the ability to see the finished product see it first and then once you go back to season one it's sort of like you're getting like the 
like the you have like the DVD collection of a show, and you're seeing like all the bonus features and extras and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. That's a good way to put it too. God, I haven't watched the bonus sectors on a DVD in so long. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm sure there's, um, there's some, there's probably some people that have heard this before that don't know what that is. Yeah. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's like what bonus features? Bonus Wait, features? You, DVDs? What the fuck are you guys talking about? You um, used to buy your movies? Like, right. how, like you hold it in your hand? <laughs> All right. So let's let's jump into it then. Season one of Left Dove and the Robots, how would you sum up this slate of short films in one sentence? Okay, I put this as um, Love, Death, and Robots is officially online, and it's a big smorgasbord of some really genius and yet maybe not as good material. Okay, that's I something similar. I called it a wild, messy orgy of talent, intrigue, and misfires. <laughs> very nice very very nice i like the wild orgy part about that for sure because that is definitely yep. what is going on here yeah and i gotta tell you like with being that this is in the teens as far as episode count goes i think you have every right in the world to classify this as an orgy it, 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 it there's a literal orgy um <laughs> actually at one point in time involving involving hitler so um it, mm-hmm. it works. Um, yeah, it, it's just there is a lot of stuff here. And I think that actually goes into it with why, I, like you, I would also recommend watch season two first. It's a little bit neater and cleaner and trimmer. And then you can kind of just like, this is like sort of if you're like going to hang out with your friends on the weekend and get drunk. By the time you're good and ripped, then you watch season one. Because you can just kind yeah. of like let your brain go and like watch some of the fucking weird shit that they put on for, for season one. Right. There's some stories in season one that um, you could basically you know just kind of tune out and lay back and watch some visuals watch some cool fight scenes and stuff like that not so much in season two right right exactly so give me your give me your top five from the season um go let's go five to one and then um I'll, i'll do the same but then i want you to kind of dive into why your number one was your number one Okay, cool. Um, my number five starts off with Ice Age by, by Tim Miller, Mr. Deadpool himself, mm-hmm. um, Topher Grace, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. A very yep. interesting um, casting choice there. I'm loving this and, new and one uh, of our And one of our few uh, with like any live action. That's right. Yes. You bet, dude. Yes. This was like a, this one in particular was like a, like live action. And then like maybe 25% of it is animated. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of what's going on in the fridge. Um, I'm loving the post uh, that's like five years down the road um, after that 70s show, Topher Grace. I'm really liking him showing up in real, real stuff now. Um, So this one is basically like a, the animation is CGI. Um, it, at times, it looks like almost like a kicked-up version of the intro to Game of Thrones, the, the way that they're building the city and everything. Yeah. Um, and it's civilization developing rapidly in the fridge. Um, a war breaks out. The, the civilization eventually leaves. And it's, I think it's awesome. It's a really it's good. cool, I like it. really cool concept. Yeah. Um, my number four was Sunny's Edge by Dave Wilson. Mm-hmm. The Beastie fights in this were worth the price of admission right away. I yeah. loved the, the way that the animals looked, I mean, the, the, the beasts, the CGI creatures looked and everything. That was great. The fights, all that stuff. Awesome. Um, my third one is when the yogurt took over narrated <laughs> by the one and only Maurice Lamarck, yep. the brain from pinky and Pinkie the brain the amongst loved of, that. Maybe, maybe one of the most famous, um, one of the most famous voice actors like ever. Um, yeah, he's gr- great. Pinky in the Brain, Simpsons, Futurama, fucking everything, dude. 
yeah, this this one was awesome. I love the nod to Ohio, like a really, <laughs> really cute, really, really cute one. Uh, number two, this one, I'm not going to lie. I watched it later on. This was the second to last one that I watched. And I absolutely loved it. And I had to redo my list once I once I saw this. I thought I was fairly confident in what my top five would be. But once I saw Zima Blue by Robert Valley, who mm. um, also di- directed some stuff in the second one, um, I I really loved this. This was just this so cool and just so different than mm-hmm. even any of the other stuff uh, that was in there. Yeah, I, I would I would say that's one of like the two or three in both seasons that stands out as being wildly different. Just period. Yeah, and I don't want to sound like a white guy who just learned a new word here, but I, I this is probably the closest to Afrofuturism that we've seen in both installments mm-hmm. in terms of the Zima Blue character and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much with the setting, but at least in terms of the way that they draw him and like yes. kind of the overall yes. themes and Absolutely. stuff like that. So um, I loved Zima Blue. My number one, and this one totally took me by this one took me by surprise as well. I loved The Witness. Like, okay. I know that it is like it is basically very sexualized and it's oh, kind yes. of like some of the stuff that I was saying in the beginning, you know, that was a little immature. But for eight minutes, this was just a total thrill ride. The animation was done really, really well. Um, I thought there was a, like a really cool kind of like compelling story in there. Um, and that just kind of kept me on my feet the whole time. And um, I love the like the twist at the end, and that there was something about this one. Like I, I know that it's like, like um, it's it's definitely like outside of like what I the like the brand of Love, Death, and Robots, but I just really fucking dug it. I thought it was a cool like kind of different thing than than I had seen before mm-hmm. in terms of short films. I definitely agree with that. Um, I is that I feel like I, I could be wrong. I feel like it, it. It feels like parts of it are rotoscoped. Like, yeah, to make things look a little grainier and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Without, yeah, that was one of the first things that I noticed. And like the, um, the thing that's cool about that grainier stuff, like it really gives off this kind of like noir type vibe Mm -hmm. to this little eight minute short. But in all reality, it's the exact opposite of noir. Everything is bright and everything is like, you know, um, not like, you know, not the CD detective underworld type stuff that you normally associate with film noir. But um, that graininess and everything, I think, really like um, it, it resonated like certain like noir type um, sure. like images and stuff like that with me, which 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 I just I don't know why I, I absolutely love that one. I thought it was just so goddamn entertaining. Like I, could, I think it's perfect. Like it's one of those. There are some films on here that I'm going to talk about is absolutely perfect. And this is a in my opinion, what I feel is like a perfect short film. I got you. I, I have one too that I, I feel like is exactly what I wanted for a short film. But um, so I'd like to just a qu- give me a quick recap on your top five. Okay, so the top five is the Ice Age, directed by Tim Miller, or just Ice Age, directed by Tim Miller. Number four is Sunny's Edge, directed by Dave Wilson. Number three is When the Yogurt Took Over. Um, number two is Zima Blue, and number one is The Witness. Okay, like that. Um, starting from my my top five, starting from five going up, um, I actually have Sunny's Edge at number okay. five for me for a lot of the similar reasons. It's just a nice, an interesting little slice of like this crazy underworld underworld of of uh, creature fighting um, with the um, almost almost in a video game sense as you get to control the. Uh, you get to control the control the creatures with your mind, um, or at least it's what we see at the beginning before we get to the ultimate reveal of uh, of Sunny, um, and it is it is sort of like 
for all the all the gruesome violence in the first season, I thought this had some of the most clever gruesome violence of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yes. One of the reasons why it stood out. Oh, definitely, dude. The way that they used violence in this one, I thought was like really good. Even just the beast fights seemed a little bit more original than some of the other mm-hmm. violence in the uh, in the first volume and stuff like that. And all in all, I was just, I really just, yeah. I, I dug it, dude. Just a big time fan. Absolutely. Uh, my number four was Helping Hand, um, where wherein a woman is uh, probably a, a part of Trump's space force. Uh, mm-hmm. Possibly, but not really. Um, she's a she's working as like a uh, satellite repair uh, person. Essentially, it basically feels like the cable repair person, but just like up in space, um, mm-hmm. doing doing the day to day repairs on satellites. Um, where she when she gets uh, her suit gets compromised by some space debris, which we'll say this that would be a one in a trillion shot uh, for something to actually fucking run into her like that. But um, nonetheless, she's uh, it's a very um, it's a very gravity-like uh, sort of scenario, um, mm-hmm. wherein she is uh, she's adrift and has to figure out how to um, how to get back to her ship without um, you know before her oxygen runs out. And um, again, sort of the gruesomeness of this is very it's earned. The gruesomeness of this is very very earned, and it makes it very very compelling. Um, mm-hmm. And it's sort of a it is sort of a near future look at some of the situations that we're definitely going to be running into. Um, the more and more the people expand into space. Oh yes, man. Like the, the situation of just this person out there fixing, you know, a satellite, fixing a spaceship or whatever there's dude, there's going to be points in time where there are fleets of people like repairing stuff mm-hmm. with the amount of, um, you know, stuff that we're sending into space and everything. Yep. And I, I gotta tell you this one, um, I could li- like, I know that I was sitting in like a, a room temperature room, but like when she took her glove off, like I can almost feel like certain pain and crinkliness yep. in my arm and stuff oh, like that. She, and I mean, ooh. yeah, when she, and I've seen this like probably three times now when she, so we're not, we're not, I don't think I'm going to talk about this beyond this. So, um, no, I'm not, I mean, you might, but, um, when she, <laughs> when she fucking breaks her arm off, mm-hmm. it is, it is gruesome and it just has, it's one of those things that like, like they get everything about it right. Like yeah. it, your arm wouldn't just come off. You have to do a lot of work to break it apart. You're going to see mm-hmm. the fucking tendon splitting and the flesh and muscle tearing. It It, it is like if, if this was in like a regular live action movie, this would be stomach turning, like oh, legitimately yeah. stomach turning. Oh, dude, those just like that, the sound of that, like ice breaking and stuff like that sounding like glass. I mean, what normally glass breaking sound doesn't make me like cringe and like, you know, make that face the way that I did in this particular short film. Yes, exactly. Uh, So number four there, Helping Hand. Number three, speaking of Hitler orgies, alternate histories, um, wherein uh, we get a we get a look at a an app that. creates a virtual reality virtual reality displays of changed histories and in this particular case it's six different uh it's six different things that would have happened uh had hitler been assassinated before uh before world war ii breaks out um uh there's falling there's a falling asteroid um there's a sex orgy in which he dies um he gets run over by a horse which leads austria to start the war anyway it's funny it's a funny little short um, the animation's goofy and I like it a lot. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you're just looking for some catharsis on, on killing Hitler, this is, this is definitely your short film. 
Yeah, I got to tell you, man, laughed my ass off. Legitimate laughter on that one and stuff. Really, really well written. All the scenarios that they put him through were extremely creative. And I got to tell you, like, there were things in there that just they took me by surprise. Like, that's where the legitimate laughter came from. I was, like, actually laughing when I saw that. I got the hardest laugh out of... Out of Vladimir Putin being the first man in space yeah. in 1988, yeah. or the first man on the moon, excuse me, in 1988, and his space suit is him shirtless with like huge packs flexing. Yeah, oh yeah, dude. I fucking love that they put Putin in space in the 80s and stuff. That yep. was a great twist. Um, my number two is another, it's another uh, another comedy here, uh, Three Robots, uh, where we follow three robots around like the ruin of the, of the more recent world. Uh, it seems like it's probably you know 21st century um 21st century america maybe 50 60 years after uh would would appear to be some kind of nuclear disaster wipes out wipes out life on the planet and we get these uh, observations just from these wandering robots and of course the cats have taken taken over everything yeah the okay like when you're watching this whole thing it's you know it kind of seems like very, very Pixar-y in the beginning and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, which um, and I'm not saying that it's bad. It's just like, you know, it has this very kind of like it's light. And then all of a sudden the triangle um, bot like tells the calls the one a fucking pussy. And yeah. it's just like, oh, wow, we're here now. Mm-hmm. And it just it completely like flipped the script and everything like that. I mean, I, I, I would have to say that and I, I could be wrong on this, but like. Is that like the the I've seen the imagery of the three robots before. Is that one of the more like famous short films to come out of the first uh, volume? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm. Absolutely. It, um, yeah. One of the more famous ones. Um, and it's just it has it has a fun ending. And anytime Chris Parnell is voicing an evil cat, like I'm here for it. Yeah, I was wondering where he was going to be because I'm like, I know Chris Parnell. I was reading the credits on Chris Parnell is in this and um, Big Head from Silicon Valley yep. was one of the Runner, other robots yeah. too. And uh, the the, um, the African-American fellow from Harold and Kumar in the jail scene, which is another amazing yes. scene in yep. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And um, I was wondering, like, where is Chris Parnell? I'm like, there's no way he's the voice of the robot. And um, and then he shows up as a cat in the end. It was great. It's fantastic. Um, but my number one here is... And it's it's a I'll get I'll get into this in more detail. Um, but my number one was the Secret War. Um, I I love these types of of movies. Period. Where like, hey, let's just involve soldiers and stuff. That's not necessarily like your typical war stuff. And I I loved the I loved the creatures. I loved the I loved the sort of like the setting. Like it felt like a real. It felt like we're like a, a lead up to a really interesting horror movie. Um, that, you know, like a longer horror movie. Um, I just think that there's, I, I think there's a lot here and I really enjoyed it. And I, fuck, I just didn't, I, I even enjoy hearing that Russian, uh, Bailalaka, uh, playing at the end. Like I just, everything about this movie, wherein we have, we're following red army soldiers fighting off demons. Um, I just enjoyed it. Like it was one of those ones. It's a pretty straightforward story. We've kind of seen in various forms before and it's just executed very well. Yep. I love that one too. Um, I'm going to talk about that one a little bit later. And okay. it is, it's like Russian starship troopers in the winter time. There you man. go. Per- that's a and, great way to put it. Yeah. And I got to tell you, like the, the thing about the setting of winter and stuff, like I, I guess I've only really gained a certain appreciation for it after the, after the hateful eight came out, but by changing the, the setting to winter, like I think just adds some kind of, extra layer of like awesomeness to um 
to a movie and stuff, it just kind of makes the situation a little bit more difficult automatically. And like, I'm not saying that like, you know, taking a a movie taking place in the desert in 140 degree weather is any less like, um, is any less, Mm -hmm. you know, difficult or whatever, but there's just something about like the way that, um, the wintertime looks, um, just seeing battles in like the wintertime, I think is, I don't know. It's just something that's like more reserved for Hoth. You don't really ever see that outside of like Empire Strikes Back and stuff. I think, I think it's because people, would rather be hot than cold for in in general like you know obviously if it's too hot like it it really sucks you could but you can like just not move and find shade when it's like five degrees or ten degrees below zero it doesn't matter where you are you're cold and it fucking hurts it's just oh it's one of those things and good and you know that's i think i i maintain that's why russians are the way that they are because half their fucking country is like 10 degrees below zero once like october hits Oh, I'm telling you, they are a whole breed of people just because of that fucking winter time. I, I think that that is like one of those winter psychologically affecting people like on a mass level in a, in a way that is just not existent anywhere else mm-hmm. in the world. Um, so let's so then let's get into your number one. Then uh, I, I was trying to save thoughts on my number one. Uh, I didn't want to get too far into it. So let's dig into your number one, which was The Witness, correct? Correct. Yes, you bet. All right. Go for it, man. OK, dude. So like. For, for people who have not seen this short film, like this is like it kind of feels like one of these like time loopy type short films where you um, end where you like a different perspective from where you started. Right. Um, like, I, I guess, like the easiest possible reference would be some like maybe almost like memento to a certain degree, I think, as far as yeah. like, the perspective stuff goes. And then just like insert the most recent example of a time loop movie here, like Palm Springs, for example, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. It's, it's, it's a, it's a sexualized violent groundhog day. Almost. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. A sexualized violent groundhog day. So, um, what first like really caught my attention is you're right. This grainy kind of, um, appearance to the, to the animation and stuff like that. Um, and you're, you're starting off with this woman who's in her, um, into like a hotel room and apartment. And she looks across the street through a window and sees a guy killing, um, killing this woman. And then of course, like, you know, they make eye contact, which thus sparks the story. And like they do these, like, it's a really cool way of kind of like raising the stakes all the way through an eight minute short film. And so like your first, so like, you know, first thing is, is like, she sees this guy, Oh my God, am I going to get away? Is he going to find me on the street? She gets in a cab. Oh, everything's, everything's cool. The cops are called. Hey, is this going to work out? No, the guy is in the cab that is right, um, right next to her and stuff. And then from there, the, um, the story kind of evolves into like uh, this, you know, she goes into what is, like the equivalent of like a mech brothel type situation and stuff like this mm-hmm. really crazy, like sexual fantasy land um, in the, in the, this futuristic setting of it. I think it has to be like, like a, it's a major city for sure. I don't know if it's in America or Asia oh, or whatever, Asia for but sure. in Asia for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so the, um, the, the, the way that like the, the plot progresses and stuff, they're out of this, like um, they're out of this little sexual fantasy land um this guy and her um end up meeting in an apartment and then like she ends up killing him and then much to her surprise she looks to her left and there's a guy who is looking out the window at her killed this guy who looks exactly like the dude that she just killed so there's definitely this like really interesting take on like a time loop situation and um Coupling it with the way that this imagery of the future looked and all this like mech sexual stuff, 
Um, I thought that it was one, it was definitely one of the cooler, like sexualized short stories of the first volume. And like, it was just so high energy and so intense. And like, and that's just like some of the things that I really loved about it. And like, in, in general, like it's not too high a concept compared to some of the other stuff. And like, it seemed to strike this happy medium between the really, really, really intelligent stuff, like like the Zima Blues and the stuff that like I wasn't necessarily so hot on, like the, the dump and everything. Mm-hmm. It was this perfect medium between like the mainstream audience and like the intelligent audience, I felt. So um, I, and once again, like just in the way that it, the way that these episodes were presented to me, like this one just kind of hit me at the right time. Um, I, and I had nothing like I basically just gone over this one in my mind a whole bunch of times. And, um, when I say that this is definitely a a perfect, like short film, um, which season one has got two or three, what I consider to be perfect short films. Mm -hmm. This is one that, um, that like, I really like, I wouldn't change anything about the time. I don't even think that this works better as a feature length movie. I think that this, this, this idea and stuff just exists in this eight minute medium. And, um, this is one that I would say, like, watch this one, like early on in your watchings of season one, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love everything that you cover there. And I love that. Like, I really love that you don't call this a time travel movie. Um, and I'm not even sure this is necessarily a time loop movie either. Um, these people just continuously find themselves at the beginning of a new chase. And mm-hmm. we're not really, there's no real reason as to why they're doing it, which is, I like that. Uh, like we, we talk about like having questions. Um, yeah. like that's a good, a, you know, having a certain amount of questions at the end of a short film is a good thing. I think that's a good thing. It really makes me want to know exactly like why this is happening. Um, are, are these people perpe- perpetually stuck in this loop? Um, it, it, the suggestion at the very end when, when she's killing him and he sees, and she looks up and sees him from the apartment that she was in previously, I think the suggestion is that they're stuck in this for possibly forever. Maybe this is going on. This is, you know, this is in the, in this particular world and wherever they are in Asia, this has been going on forever. (laughs) And like, there is, but like no one else is really aware of what the hell is going on. They just... It, this is like their sort of own personal, I guess, own personal purgatory, maybe. Yeah, that that if there was some kind of like, I guess, easily identifiable word that you could describe the, the state that these people live in, I think purgatory is is definitely like a top five term that I would define this state as. And like, you're right, man. Like this whole thing, we could have seen time number one million seven hundred twenty thousand you know and like it just keeps on going and going and going and who knows if it's the same thing if it's a different thing and that was just some of like the the cool questions that i got to ask mm-hmm. myself about about watching this particular uh, short film and also like the um you know like i mentioned like in my top three from last week of things that like, you know, like personally Adam qualifies, makes it a good short film and mm-hmm. stuff. And those are, those are no dead way to asking, asking questions. And, um, can be one second while I look up the third one really quick. <laughs> uh, this something is something that created that, that takes chances. And mm-hmm. like, I'll, I'll tell you, like the questions were there from the beginning, the, the dead weight thing was like, you, you dead, there was no fucking dead weight in this whatsoever. Like yeah. I maybe could fish out like four words total or something, but, um, the something creative part, like I, I'm not going to lie, like in the, you were kind of watching this, like, all right, it's just like another mech sex thing and all this stuff. Yeah, it's cool. They did a really good job with the, the boobs and stuff. And then all of a sudden you get that little twist in the end. And I'm like, this is what makes 
did a short film. Like yep. this is like that. That's the creative twist that um that puts this into like something that I feel is deemed worthy of being called a perfect short film. Yep, I 100% agree with you, and it it fills it fills my top three criteria too. I mean, it hits mm-hmm. it hits the question thing. It hits the the memorable visual thing. Like the visual style is unmistakable, and. And, and it has this it has this really interesting way of not just making a story arc but making a story circle so it yeah it, it is even more than an arc it is starting the story over for, for us again and then bringing up even more questions about about what might be going on next so I think it I think it hits those points and then goes beyond them even yeah ex- exactly dude like that's I'm telling you all in eight minutes too like that's just that's just the thing that I think is really cool, man. Like it's just a, the level of creativity and like, it shows that there are really, that there's a really like strong um, line um, that defines the art of a feature length film and something that defines like art in a short film and stuff. And that the fact that it's almost like two completely different art forms, um, right. You know, two completely different forms it, of art. It, it's one of those things. Like if you, if you had to make a, a short film to save the world from an alien invasion or something like they wanted to, for some reason that was their demand. Uh, not sure yeah. why it would be. Um, I'm, I'm trusting Don Hertzfeld before I'm giving that movie to Spielberg or Christopher Nolan. Right. Oh yeah, ex- exactly. That is, that is for sure. And like those guys, like, you know, granted they may be able to make a cool short film and stuff like that. But I, I think that like, if you're talking time factor and the aliens, I, I, I'm safely assuming you're going to want it sooner than later. You're going to go mm-hmm. with, you're going to go with the, the short film guy for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Good choice though. The, the witnesses, the witness didn't make my top five and it's, I, I don't know if it's, if it's only because some of the sex stuff is just a little distracting. I think that's all. I think that's the only reason why, because I love this sort of, I love this sort of unexplained, these sort of unexplained like time loop, um, mm-hmm. whatever. I, I don't even know what you necessarily call it, but like I, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, it's just it's very very interesting to me when we have like this sort of situation where the laws, these very particular laws of physics, are being bent. Yeah, of of course, dude. And you, you're right. The, the sexual stuff, like it's there's it's definitely like a distraction for sure. I mean, you could it's right there in your face and everything like that. Um, the thing like that, I, that separates it, I think a little bit is just like the way that it's just kind of like the way that it's done. Yeah. You know, some of the, some of the other sexual stuff, like, um, and beyond the Aguila Rift, like, it was, you know, it's just like, this just kind of like some pretty lame, you know, a Skinamax type sex that's set to a song. But this one, like this one was like, um, at least they did something with it. It, it, (laughs) it, 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 they used it more to inform the world, even if it was in passing, we know that like these people are like either on purpose or unintentionally running into like the sex underground. Right. Of course. That's right. And the fact that 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 sex underground probably exists in some capacity, like, you know, there's probably early versions of what we just saw. Oh, for sure. Like that, that's going on in Asia. It's probably going on here down. It's going on here. Don't worry. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. All right. So good choice. I love it. Love it. Love the breakdown. Um, Yeah. So I want to get into the secret war here a little bit more. um, And just to sort of, I'll, I'll provide a better synopsis there than I did uh, previously, but Secret War is a photoreal CGI animation, so like a very realistic-looking animation uh, style, uh, set in the Eastern Front uh, in World War II in Russia, um, wherein this Red Army unit is uh, confronting... Conf- they think they're chasing down German units, and um, it turns into... Uh, they're actually, they're actually uh, sort of behind a massing army of demons that live in the ground. 
Um, they live underground, and they have to fight them naturally. I Chema, I love. I I've had a term for this style of movie, and for that matter, TV show for a long time. And it just so happens it's the title of this particular short film. I love secret war movies, and when you, it sounds it sounds strange, uh, but like it literally is. It's it's very much like what's going on here and how I would describe other movies. That it's an activity that we're seeing, an activity that we're seeing that is just a cover for something else, be it intentionally or unintentionally. So, the secret war here is the war against the demons, and. The, the thing is that no one knew that this was happening until this particular Red Army unit walked into this, like, slaughter in this Russian town. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, there's a, a surprising amount of stuff like this that actually exists that you can go watch right now. More recently, we had the movie Overlord, is a secret war movie, um, where, where uh, a unit drops in ahead of D-Day. Their objective is to take out a communications tower for the, for the Nazis. And, oh, by the way, it's actually, like, a whole experimental thing where there's fucking zombies everywhere. Um, so they have to fight that war before the actual war can, can continue. Um, even in this, there's another one, uh, Shapeshifters, where there's werewolves in Afghanistan. And, um, or wolfmen, I don't know how you'd actually like to describe it, but whatever. Um, hmm. That, like, there's a different battle being fought besides the one that is actually being fought. Um, more recently, or I should say more famously, both versions, both Predator 1 and Predator 2 are secret war movies. That there's something else going on here that the army just happens to be involved in. So, like, I really love these types of movies. Um, mm -hmm. It just kind of, it, it just sort of, you know, like, you're you're seeing one thing, and then, like, this, all the, all the, uh, the soldiers, if you will, or in some cases it's cops or whatever else, are thrown into a different situation that they're not expecting. So yeah. I love these. And I really loved, I loved the creature design of these demons. Um, they're just not what you expect. When I say demons, I think you're thinking more of like a humanoid demon thing. And these are basically just like two to four to six legged fucking creatures with like, that are just eating everything in sight. Um, and I, while I didn't really care what the background was, they gave it like an occult background that they were summoned from hell by, um, you know, some necromancer. Um, it, it, well, I didn't really care about that part. And I don't think it necessarily added anything good or bad. It does fit in with the fact that Hitler, Stalin, a lot of these European leaders at the time, they were real into occult stuff for some reason. So it does kind of fit that. And it also kind of fits that, like, all the weird stories that we hear about the Nazis, like of them potentially making time travel devices, fucking lasers, concrete planes. Why wouldn't they try doing some occult shit? Right? Oh, yeah, of course. So, you know, so we get so we get all of that. And then... They do a very good job. I think this movie is like 18 minutes long or 17 minutes long. They do a good job of, of introducing the characters and actually making us care about them a little bit. Like enough that the deaths are, you know, their ultimate sacrifice is impactful. And we get this through uh, two scenes and a little bit of dialogue. Um, so, like, <clears throat> we get it, like, after they arrive to the town, the soldiers are, are kind of, like, taking, you know, kicking their, after they discovered, like, the carnage. They're kind of kicking their heels up. The young kid is playing the uh, balalaka and like we're getting some banter back and forth. And then, um, you know, so we have that scene where we're like actually getting to know the comrades a little bit and get to know the situation a little bit. Um, and the, that's where we get like the backstory about like what might have happened with these with these demons. Uh, <clears throat> and then we get a little bit of dialogue where that's the they send the young kid away on horseback to go signal the rest, you know, like a Red Army 
um, bomber unit to go, like, just shell the town. And we get that little moment where, like, you know, like, hey, you know, after after the soldier insists on staying and fighting, the commander, the captain, gives him the, he instead of calling him, you know, lieutenant, sergeant, whatever, he calls him son. So we immediately get that, like, that's his kid. He's, you know, he's doing the ultimate sacrifice for his son to make sure that, like, this, their sacrifice isn't in vain. And then the last stand is just pretty great, where they're just, like, unloading everything they have on these demons. And then we get the final the final clip of the balalaka music playing while the while the bombers just annihilate the entire town. Yeah, I gotta tell you, these battles. Oh, so sorry, hold on. This cat's just like just oh, no problem. No a problem. little bit. Um, so the battle scenes and stuff in this are top notch. Okay, like I like I love these fight scenes, and you're 100 percent right about the way that they give you just enough about these characters to make us give a shit about them and stuff. Just very, very easy. One or two couple lines here and there, you know, nothing, no like big dramatic monologues, mm-hmm. but the, the point is established, you know, and the way that they keep like raising the stakes in the battle, I thought was badass. Like first it's like these guys in the tunnel and then like, okay, all these things are coming at him and stuff. So like, you know, traditionally in these um, situations and movies, they blow the tunnel and that thus, you know, saves the day. Right. right. No, no, not in this case. They blew the tunnel. It collapses this mountain, which thus reveals these demons hiding ground, which is like, basically looks like something out of like, either like the last scene of Congo or like mm-hmm. some kind of like, um, you know, like big time, like a ruins type thing, you right. know, these like archy type uh, holes and stuff like that in the wall. And like, then all of a sudden there's just like a whole fucking bunch of them. And then they decide that they're going to make their own last stand. And it's like, okay, how much ammo do we got? Mm-hmm. Make sure we get the ammo. Then there's like a battle plan. And they even like, they, they pump that drama to the way, way end. And there's that whole like thing where that guy is just barely alive enough to throw the switch to, to, you know, like basically blow the hell out of all these guys and everything. And then there's that really sweet hero shot of the cavalry rolling in. And like, you just, you just get that little glimpse of Mm -hmm. them taking out these people. Just like, it's, you know, you know what happens. Like victory is had here. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The, the Russians make their, as as Russians are wont to do, uh, they die making a, die heroically making a sacrifice for the good of mother Russia. Um, (laughs) Right. It's, and it's, and it's really important. Like, like I said, it's not like we did a ton of character building, but we did enough that you care about. And like, cause we're going to get to, I'm going to talk about this movie uh, here in a second. Um, unlike, unlike the, the one blind spot, uh, where like the heist, the heist short film, I didn't oh, yeah. give a shit about any of them. So, nope. <laughs> and that had way more dialogue and, and attempts at character building. Um, and they did it significantly better in this than they did in that movie. Oh, dude, yeah. Blindspot was one of these ones that just came and went for me. Yeah, yeah. and like, that was actually, I think that was the last one or third to last one that I had watched. And um, I was like, at, by about where I was and what I had gone through, I was just like, okay, yeah, like, this is nothing special. You know, yeah. I don't even know if watching it first would have changed my opinion. <laughs> probably not, probably not. So there you go. Um, those are, oh, uh, just any any final thoughts there before I wrap this portion up? Oh, dude, nothing. Like I love the top five. There's some some selections you have that I'm gonna that I'm gonna talk about, um, okay. like coming up and everything like that. So um, I'm you know just interested to further on the conversation for sure. Yeah, same here, same here. All right, so teased it already. Let's move into it. What what movie or movies, if there's multiple, did you not connect with at all? Okay, number one on this list is Fish Night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like. 
let me tell you something here. Like in my um, hallucinogenic doing days, I've lived that. I know what that is fucking like, okay? Not in the desert, but I know what it's like to see a bunch of fish and aquatic animals just all of a sudden hovering over your head. And um, I got to tell you, like when it comes down to this thing, it was just basically spectacle. You yeah. know, like, I mean, even for as, as short as it was, I'm like, I'm like watching this. I'm like, how have you not gotten to the point yet? Like still these dudes <laughs> talking in the desert, you know? And like for a second, I'm like, are they maybe trying to go with this like true detective kind of vibe, two guys in the car, maybe this whole thing will go somewhere eventually. But um, it just led to them in the desert. And then there's a bunch of like aquatic animals hovering over them. So that was one that um, I just was like, uh, that might be, I think like the, the worst one out yeah. of the entire first volume. Oh, I, I would agree with you there. I had it on my list here too. And I had, I had to read a synopsis to try to understand the point. And it still mm-hmm. doesn't like quite, line up with what we did see and like, <laughs> i thought like so i'm like well is this a is this a dream is it something else like is it like is is the young man old man dynamic symbolic it doesn't seem to be but it also seems like it could it like i'm fine with those kind of questions but like it, it like it answered nothing and left so much on the table and yeah and without any story or anything else it's just it's just visual that's all it is which is totally fine but that's just not for me yeah, I'm kind of over the whole like visual, like just just being visuals and stuff like that. Like that, I guess that flew the coop on me when I was like 17, 18 years old and stuff. And yeah. once once you watch Dark Side of the Moon with Wizard of Oz playing in the background and being high and stuff, and, and you realize that it doesn't really deliver on what was expected, <laughs> not at all. Your 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 whole idea of just visual stuff changes for the better mm-hmm. at that particular point in time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to I want to jump here to what I just talked about blind spot um i i chema this is this is how i phrase this this is a ragtag team no one gives a shit about and the ending basically tells us not to give a shit about them either because none of it mattered anyway <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah this one was like i said so this one came in a little bit later on in the process and like by about this point in time and after watching season two like i i felt that i had enough you know familiarity and kind of knowledge about the show and this one was just like all right so it's just like a mad max futuristic bank robbery type thing like it, it didn't have any of the creativity that some of the other ones had and like i like i said i don't know if watching it earlier on would have changed my opinion but it's just like when you go through some of these short films and like Let's even like just get into just like some of the animation here for just a second. Like the animation on some of these is is outstanding. It's amazing animation. Yes. You know, like it was stuff that looks very real, like but it's CGI and everything. You're talking about top notch like com- computer animation and stuff. And when you get to some of the ones, um, the short films that like aren't really really good on the animation it just looks more like a normal cartoon a very 90s style yeah. 2d 3d type of cartoon yeah especially one like that um, like your early like you know saturday morning like spider-man tv show cartoon mm-hmm. and stuff and it's just like i don't know it's it doesn't feel like as quality of a product compared to some of the other stuff. You know, it's like, it's basically like having your entree before your appetizer, I guess. Like you're, you see all this other really cool stuff, all this, you know, that people took really like a lot of pride in what looks to be like something that looks super complicated to make. 
And then you're at this like '90s cartoon here in 2019, and it, I, it just right away like it kind of leaves like an unusual taste in your mouth when compared yeah. to some of the other stuff you've seen. Uh, perfect, perfect way of putting it. Perfect way of putting, it. especially even like I, I tend to like, and I kind of noticed it too with you. I tend to like the more photo real CGI stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. that's where my sensibilities lie. Um, but even then, something like I'm glad you put Zima Blue on your list. Because that is a very unforgettable Afrofuturism type of animation that really stands out. Even if it's not something that I particularly like, I still like the visuals from Zima Blue. Yeah, dude, exactly. Like, there's something unique about those visuals. There's something, like, really unique about that story. This is just like it's just robbery stuff, you know. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's like yeah. I mean, it's okay. Like you you want to make like yeah. I guess that there's room for um, that kind of story in like the first volume. There's definitely not in the second volume. So somebody realized that that blind spot wasn't as good mm-hmm. as the other ones, and um, and yeah, like I I just feel that there was so much so many better things that that one just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, any others that you want to throw out here? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so um, the dump, like once again, so the dump is like okay, it's it's entertaining. You know what I'm saying? Like it's mm-hmm. it's got some entertainment values, but it is completely off brand for Love, Death, and Robots. Like I, I just that is one that like I, Gary Cole's involvement yep. must have propelled that thing into production and being <laughs> made and stuff like that. So I, I that was one that I guess like if you're um, if you are talking about like what the love death robots brand is, that is one that I have no idea how the hell got in there. You know, like that's definitely one that's just, I think could have been left out. And then the, um, the last one that, um, that I, I didn't really connect with was the, the werewolf one. Mm-hmm. And this one, like this is a, this is actually a good short film, but it's just in the wrong collection of short films and stuff. Like, yeah, this is like, this is like, in my opinion, like when they're trying to shape and mold their brand, they're like, Hey, let's throw in some horror stuff, you know, like, like God, no one's going to be able to tell the difference between sci-fi and horror. And then like, obviously people did. That's why there weren't any stories right. like this in volume two and stuff. Right. And like, not that, not that it's bad. It was just very out of place. And um, like when I was, when I was watching it and stuff, I was all for the characters. I thought it made a really, really great um, statement and everything like that about just, you know, the acceptance of people and stuff like that. And people being different from you having value. And the fact that, you know, this, the guy who was harassing the, the two werewolves in the beginning or super wolf soldiers in the beginning, mm-hmm. eventually like, you know, gave that head nod of like respect to the guy after he came back to camp and stuff. And there's really a really moving story in there with, with like really like, you know, kind of powerful imagery. And I think setting in the, 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 the with the army in the desert is a great idea, but it's just out of place. It's just so out of place. It is. It's definitely out of place. And at the same time, you're right. Like there's a lot that I liked about it, but like, like I, I just left it off because it doesn't feel like it, it complements anything else. Um, ha- having said that, I'd like to see this version of the Afghanistan war where we're yeah. fucking using werewolf super soldiers to fight other werewolf super soldiers. Like I want to yeah. see, I want to see that fucking movie. Yeah. And it's about time. Like, you know, we've been in Af- we've been in Afghanistan. We've been sort of out of Afghanistan forever. Like, isn't it about time that Hollywood, like, caught up to making crazy twists on the Afghan wars. I mean, we've seen all the hard lockers and all that stuff. Let's get some real crazy shit in there. There. Yeah, so there's that. And there's actually a movie called the objective, um, okay. where in, um, special forces soldiers end up fighting like Afghanistan, Afghanistani tribal, like ghosts and shit. Oh, interesting. Okay. 
I'm told it's yeah, not very pretty... good, but it's like one of those things I kind of I've never checked out because I can never find it. And I like this uh, shapeshifters kind of brought me back to that. I'm like, right, there's a fucking movie like that that actually exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's got like something like that. Like I, I'm all welcoming for because I've just I don't know, man. I, I've seen. And I believe me, I'm still going to watch them, but like, I kind of want some new, cool, like kind of war movie stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't necessarily want to see a, a heroic story, even though it might be true over and over and over exactly. and over again. Let's exactly. get some it's cool shit. Time to do some cool stuff with war. Exactly. Uh, real quickly here, I'll just, I, I, I agree with the dump. Um, it feels like they were trying to, there's trying to be a message there. And I think mm-hmm. if the dump was made for season two, it'd be very different and there would be a message. About human you. consumption and waste, and you know that you know consumer culture, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it kind of mm-hmm. like if there was an attempt at that, it's kind of just thrown by the wayside because the trash monster is good, right? I yeah. Anyway, don't know, and yeah. and just sort of yeah. and just to wrap this up real quick, um, you you mentioned how like Blind Spot felt like it just the animation just felt sort of underwhelming. Mm-hmm. I think had Sucker of Souls. A, had it not been yeah. titled Sucker of Souls, because that's a fucking yeah. terrible title. Um, Awful. And had it been, like, photoreal CGI and been really gory, that might have made my top five list. But oh, the, with, the animation makes it feel very immature and very PG-13. Yeah, you want to talk about, like, the if if um the, the first one, the, the, the blind spot, was a 90s, like, animation sucker of souls was like scooby-doo type animation yeah. and stuff like that and you're right if that was a like a cgi more live action type approach to animation that creature would have been amazing that yeah. would have been cooler than the creatures in um in sunny's edge and stuff yeah. like that but it's it's the presentation and everything and like even like when i'm when i started watching that i'm just like you know once again like i see that animation and i'm just like okay they somebody didn't put as much time as they did into the other one. Like, why should I watch this? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then as I'm going through it, I'm like, yeah, there's really not much that this offers, even in terms of love, death and robots like that. Once again, looks like something that would be in more of like a horror short film collection. Yeah. It, it felt like a, a very short episode of like creep show or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Creep show. That's a good one for sure. All right, so what movie did you struggle leaving out of your top five? And just, you know, briefly, why did it miss the cut? Oh, God, I I hate this because this is actually the second of my perfect movies in season one. And one you had on your top five, and it's um, the the alternate history. Mm -hmm. I love this so much, dude. I Like I said, legitimate laughter. The animation was great. Like, the thing that kept it off of my my top five was, like, I felt like I could write that. Like, yeah. There, there was there was something yeah. about it like that. Um, it, and I believe me, like that's that's not like a knock on the um the, the writers. That's definitely hopefully it's not a knock on me. But um, <laughs> there was there was something about this like it's basically like all these cool setups and punchlines that like I could have thought of over a night of like drinking and stuff like that, and the execution was absolutely amazing. I just felt the concept wasn't necessarily as strong as some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. And th- there were ones in there that like, they're that just like, you know, so out of this world as an idea, this one was so out of this world in terms of the execution. So like the, the planes like didn't connect enough to put it into you. my top five. And like, I, I thought that like some 
other ones on there would be a little bit more like like worthy of the discussion. Um, and like I said, I'm not. This is number. This is like a perfect fucking short film, but just like it was almost like too perfect, I guess. Yeah, I I understand exactly what you're saying. I I really truly do that. Like, I, I it's just it, it feels like one of those ones because it, it if you just I think if I go to IMDb, it's actually one of the lower rated ones. Okay. Um, let me do a quick scroll here. I think it's one of the lower rated ones. Um, yeah, it's it's actually rated the same as Blind Spot, which I fucking hated. Uh, I shouldn't say I hated Blind Spot. It was just not entertaining. Same as Fish Night. Um, it's it, I th- and I think that's just because like there are things there are things that will just push certain people from appreciating everything about it. You and I appreciate mm-hmm. shit about it, everything about it. But I think there's just some things there that are like that can be off putting. Um, in terms yeah. like I, I, the way you like in terms of like the way you like put like certain things connect. I, I get it. I totally fucking get why you would leave this out of the top five. Yeah, it's like, dude, I, I hated to do it. I struggled to do it. You know, this was the only out of all the seasons um, and the, like the questions that we had on the outline. This is like the one that like I legitimately like regret like leaving off the top five. And like, what? And if anybody, the, the animation team, anybody involved in the production, like listens to this and stuff like that, before oh, you do. go they on do. an all out, uh, yeah, oh yeah, before you guys go on an all out online assault on me, just know that I could not say enough positive things about your product. It's just, it was just too perfect. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to be mad at somebody for something, be mad at the fact that the guy just said what you made was too goddamn perfect. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, no, good choice. Uh, I actually went with Lucky 13. And I think I, I chose this one. It's, I think I chose this one because like I feel like this is the simplest one to sort of boost up and elevate. Um, it's, it's uh, I want to say it's 16 minutes long or 15 minutes maybe on the nose. Um, but like it's one that would have benefited from being like 20 or 25 minutes. And mm-hmm. instead of doing a lot of so we get um, we get Lieutenant Cutter voiced by Samira Wiley. Um, she's from like Handmaid's Tale, and I feel like Orange yeah. is the New Black. She is. She's Pusse yeah. on Orange is the New yeah. Black, who died like season three, I think. Yeah. Um, so we get a lot of voiceover from her about the about number about thirteen, the the drop ship. She's a she's a pilot in some future war or whatever, and she's she gets assigned as a rookie to this very unlucky uh, troop carrier ship. Where the the mm-hmm. ship keeps surviving and everyone else inside of it keeps dying, um, after after missions, and there's a lot of voiceover about like what they were what they were doing together. I would have liked to have seen more of that. Yeah. Um, and I also would have liked to have seen, so like there's this kind of there's a suggestion that thirteen, um, the ship thirteen is, I don't want to say alive, but like sentient almost. Um, we, mm-hmm. you know, we get like angle, we, we get some like angles from the cameras, you know, mounted all over the ship, um, that are watching her have conversations. Um, I would have liked some more moments where like, there is sort of like a, the suggestion that the ship is more than almost sentient or more than just a ship. Like could have been something as simple as like, she's having a conversation with her co-pilot and she's, she mentions that she needs something and like it falls, it just happens to fall from the ship. Or something right. like that. Like little little ticks like that, I think, could have brought this up and made this a top five for me. Oh, I, I understand exactly what you what you mean on that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit farther into it um, here in a little bit. Okay. But um, the 
with that whole thing, there's a lot of stuff that I think could have been done a little bit better and everything. And, um, it's, it's just like, you're right, man. It's just like little, little like tweaks and stuff. And I, I still, even in my mind, kind of debate if the way that they approach the story is the best angle to mm-hmm. approach the story. I, I, yes, I understand exactly what you're saying. We, we get a touch of like what I wanted at the very end when the ship malfunctions and it's, it's a self-destruct sequence, mm-hmm. seemingly to wait for everyone, all their enemies to get closer so it blows up. And so you give like that little bit and then you get, um, you get like the only thing that's left basically is the plaque. The number plaque. It's it's a signed call number. Um, so like I needed more of those little things, just yeah, peppered in, and it would have made it definitely would have made thirteen seem like a living thing, and it would have elevated this movie for me a little bit higher. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, and I'm gonna just so we can stay here with the next question. The thirteen is the the one that I think okay. had a great concept, but the execution is like a little go, bit off. Go for it, dive into it. Let's be- go. Be- because because dude, like how cool is the idea of this like sentient fucking plane? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like that a whole thing in and out of it. That that is a really unique approach to this um short film like kind of battle short films that we've seen in um throughout the course of uh, the love death and robots volumes and stuff mm-hmm. like you know we, with the secret war the secret war is a little bit more like straight up where like the um yeah. the cool stuff is like atmospheric and everything and it's also some very cool like execution things that they did um throughout the presentation of the short film while as lucky 13 it's like i get okay so i guess like Number one, you have this hot idea of the sentient plane, right? But then they jimble jamble it up with all this like human crap. And I realize like Samira Wiley's like a bigger star for this particular, you know, um production and sure. everything. But it's like being used in like the in like a way that like she's got actual talent. She's actually like a really great actress, mm-hmm. a lot of good comedic timing, dry humor, being a like a straight person against a really neurotic, funny person. She's she's great at this. And it's just like a complete like miscasting, you know, like and like I'm not saying that like, oh, my God, she couldn't go on to do like what she probably could, but just not this particular thing. And like I, I almost feel that like like more of everything would have helped except all like the human shit. And like I would have cut everything down to focus on like one specific mission we know in advance what the hell this thing is like this plane is like yes you know th- this plane has got some kind of like um the soldiers have some kind of attachment to the plane almost like the way the soldiers would have an attachment to like an older general type yeah. you know like somebody that like it's got all this knowledge like we could trust lucky 13 the plane and stuff like that and i even think that like by establishing that type of relationship you're way more on brand with the whole love death robots Mm -hmm. brand you know you're way more in in line with that what the show is trying to do and what they did and adding all this humanness stuff and like you know multiple missions all that like i just think that it was way too much and they could have just condensed everything down to like one mission went balls to the wall and put a badass product out there because one thing that this had that like this had some amazing visuals. Like I'd probably oh, really say good. that this, this particular short film in terms of the visuals is probably like a top five in terms of the war visuals and like the way that they presented space and even the way that the fucking rocks on the planet look and everything like that, like just a really awesome presentation of this world that like, we don't really get to like develop a relationship with, you know, cause they're aiming to put the relationship on the humans. And it's like, if it's only like a short film, one that's more driven in battle and stuff, like I, I don't necessarily know if I want that. Like, I, I guess like I want to just more of like the plane 
being this like sentient plane maybe it does some cool maneuvers maybe there's something that like the pilot wants to do that the plane's like no and the pilot's going for it and like it's turning right and then all of a sudden the plane just jerks the thing to the left and saves the day something along those lines but it just it just wasn't there yeah no you're this is this feels like one of the biggest missed opportunities in either season um Mm -hmm. and i and actually i really like the idea that the like the last mission should have been the biggest bulk of of what yeah. this was that so if you're going to give it if you're only going to give it 15 minutes then this should have been 10 to 12 of it should have been the final mission so we really get to sort of seal that seal the deal between cutter and 13 yeah exactly like maybe even just a little like scrolling thing at the beginning like hey 13 is the first government plane to do this blah 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 and then some shots of like you know, 13 with like an American flag. He's got a parade for him. Like maybe 13 is like at an outburger in the future. I don't know. Something like something to establish like that. This plane is above plane. You know, the normal plane has the experience. Oh, dude, easy. I got an easy one for this. The opening fucking military funeral, but for a fucking thir- for a drop ship. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like, yeah. The, the, the people like the mili- like the people that were involved with it felt that strongly about it. Yeah, that's a really good fucking idea. Right, for sure. Just give us something to establish that connection because, like, it's just – you're right. Missed opportunity. One of the biggest missed opportunities out of both volumes. Yep. Um, So like that. like that we we segued right into that. So I'm going to go right into my concept with the the bizarre – I'll call this bizarre execution. Um, Beyond the Aquila Rift. um, Okay. I really love – I really love this idea that there is sort of what – at least to me, maybe you, maybe you think otherwise, um, that humanity at some point in time in the future uh, looks like they stumbled onto some kind of alien artifact that can transport us in an instant across vast distances in space. And I yep. say alien because it does not look like something that we built. Right. No, I love these kind of elements in um in movies and stuff like that. Even like even something that is maybe not alien made, like a Van Horizon, where it's just like a black hole or whatever. Yeah. The idea of something in space being able to shoot us somewhere in space, absolutely love it. And it and it looks really fucking cool. <laughs> like it just yes. it looks awesome. Even when like the ships are going through, it almost looks like you're being like the the cargo ships are being shot out of a giant fucking gun uh, farther out into space. It looks uh-huh. it's a really interesting creative look at it. But and and where it goes really has has some potential to be like really jarring and terrifying. Like it, mm-hmm. there's a lot of potential here. But like what I walk away from this movie with is that it is a CGI showcase for Madeline Knight's breasts. <laughs> That's it. That's the actress. Uh, and yep. Madeline Knight, you you've probably seen her. In I've seen stuff. her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. That's it, it's. It's so distracting. Um, by the way, if Madeline Knight, it's it's her face, it's not her body, because no human being has a body that looks like this. I, I refuse to believe it. Um, but, like, that's all I walk away with is this, is this, the fact that this movie that had, has this very interesting sci-fi premise and a really terrifying conclusion, which I'll get into here, and all I can think about is how they, in every scene that Madeline Knight is in, they ogle the fuck out of her no matter yeah. what she's wearing. Yeah. That was like a big, like, okay, we're just going for some kind of like some kind of sexualized thing here to keep, to keep viewers like hooked or something. Like, God, wouldn't it be awesome if they just stared at CGI boobs for a little while or something. And like, even like some of the sex stuff, like 
okay, I, I basically should say just the sex scene went really goddamn long for yeah. a uh, yeah. for a short film and stuff. Um, I will say that I kind of don't like the fact that they used a song in the film. Also like, agree. Yeah, there's I guess like um, unless it's a music video. There's no room for that. It, it made it feel like uh, you're watching like a Hollywood blockbuster, right. but that's not why we're watching Love, Death and Robots. Um, so this whole like this big block being occupied by this sex scene, they could have done with other stuff. You know, like there's all these really cool things going on, but they kind of focus on some of the stuff they shouldn't focus on. And then when the moment comes to pay the piper with some of the really cool essential stuff to the story, it's just kind of like a, you know, and even like in terms of animation, like the way that they were stabbed each other, it's like, okay, you guys just stab each other with the first like little bit of the knife there. Both of you had the same kind of stabbing. like And um, so that's like some of the things that um, I think suffer in terms of the, the execution and everything, especially when you end with a really goddamn sweet ending. Yeah, I, I once we get to the reveal of what's going on, so it, it's kind of it, it's the setup is that this ship, this cargo ship, piloted by uh, what's his name, Tom. I don't think we get a name beyond Tom. Um, you know, he's the captain of this cargo ship. They're way off course. Um, the there's a routing error in the in the Aquila Rift um, that sends them to the wrong area. And you know, we were talking. When you're talking uh, the wrong area in space, that's like you're very far off from where you're supposed to be. Like, you know, life-changingly far off from where you're supposed to be. Right. And it's set up that at this repair station, he meets someone that he knew from, you know, from back in the day that he had a relationship with. Um, and everything is like a little bit too good to be true. And when we get to the actual reveal, like they are very far off. It was, a, a, what do they call it? A rounding error in the mathematics yeah. that sends the ships to where they're supposed to go. It is a rounding error. And it, it's almost sort of like a, um, what are like a, like a sirens Island, um, uh, where she, yeah. you know, the soldiers, you know, sailors used to wreck their ships. It's kind of what it is mm -hmm. in space. And it's, it's it, all these ships accidentally over, over the years, decades, probably end up in the same place. And there's this giant, basically this giant wreck that's being, uh, inhabited by a, I guess not a malevolent spider, alien spider right. i mean so like basically this there's this creature that lives in this fucking disgusting nest that's made out of ships and it's it's sort of entering tom's mind to present the reality that mm -hmm. he's at least in a space station with someone that he knew from his past um and then once you get the reveal tom is gaunt and like almost die almost dead um he's mm -hmm. clearly they've clearly been there for years and years and years and, you know, the woman that he knows as Greta is this giant fucking weird looking spider with looks like an anus for a face. Um, um, and then, like, she sort of, you know, resets everything. So, like, it starts over from the beginning, um, and at least in his mind. And, like, that's the kind of shit that I want. Like, mm -hmm. I wanted to find out more about that. Like, great. CGI Madeline Knight looks fucking amazing. That is so unimportant compared to the rest of this stuff that you're teasing that I want to know more about. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, dude, the spider thing, that is gold to me. I love this idea of these creaturey type beings being able to, like, communicate in English with people and stuff. Like, I don't even care if there's a reason for it or not. Like, just the whole her showing up at the end out of the blue, like, is this just giant white spidery monster. Like, 
awesome twist at the end. Like, yeah. Really fucking awesome twist. Even even how um, they make the, the head of the yeah. spider look like her body is really cool. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's exactly. Like, and, like, I love this whole, like, just subliminal connection that these creatures would have with humans and everything because I, I kind of believe that, like, if a creature is intelligent enough to do what they're doing or even to find humans, know about humans – they could probably do something like that, you know, like maybe just look at us and like know how to somehow communicate just because they're that freaking smart. And you get this great, great twist at the end with this awesome imagery of all the pink and all the, the, the webs and the guts and whatever that is hanging everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, why can't we get more of that? Like, yeah. you were really, you guys opted for uh, the sex scene to the, with uh, the Daughtry song. Like, that's what you guys opted for. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a really, an, another missed opportunity. Um, but one that really could, it just so easily, so easily could have been rectified. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes it more, like, and what makes it sort of more compelling and what I, what I want to know and like why I would want more of that is because, um, you know, in human form, Greta uh, makes this plea that like, I care about you. I care about everyone that's ever come through here. So mm-hmm. it's she's not trying to hurt anyone, but it's like, you know, like it's clear that there's more story that we could unearth, which is some of these lines of dialogue that they throw out and they just didn't do it. Right. Oh yeah, dude. Yep. Ex- ex- exactly. Like this is one that um, it's, there's ripe for some changes uh, to be made here because they have a, there's a beautiful foundation, but there's just a lot of execution issues. Yeah. All right, so you get to make from these from the from all these episodes in season one, from all these short films in season one, you get to make a TV series and you get to make a feature film. So which ones are you choosing for which? Okay, so let's talk about another smooth transition. The movie that I was going to do is the Aquila Rift. Okay, like yeah. I, I would turn this into a movie. Um, to, number one, to fix some of the things that we had just discussed. Um, and number, I, I think that this is already like just a perfectly laid out type movie. You have your, you have basically like your first act, which is everything leading up to what happens before they go into the, the, the portal, the, the, you know, like the alien, uh, space sending you into, um, area. And, um, then you have your second act, which just could be this crazy ass like fantasy land that, you know, that he's in and everything he doesn't know. And then your third act is when he comes to reality and maybe there is some kind of writing for him to get off of the ship or something. There could be maybe even a, a further distortion of reality, something like that. Like the entire time, like she's really dependent on him not knowing exactly where he is. And he could even mm-hmm. be in like a, wor- a worse situation. Um, so there's a lot of room here to, to really make something cool. And like the, one of the, you know, like one of the main reasons that I put this in for a movie, it's like, it's just everything I said with these creatures and stuff. Like there's just such a cool ass fucking thing to have like this kind of approach to the creatures where the creature provides this kind of thing, you know, cause she says like, she does care about the guy and she is giving him something that I guess is really good for him, which it's, is to keep his mind in this crazy simulation. Right, better than thing, dying in you know? space alone. Starting right. cold. Yeah. Yeah. Believe me. Like I, I, welcome that as my um, personal heaven or whatever. If I was just a body in space somewhere, I'd love to know that that's what my life was like every day. So they have this really cool foundation. And like, I think that there's so much more that could be fixed. There's so much more things that could be expanded upon here. And like, if I'm not mistaken, like this Aguila Rift is like, it's a short story collection all, all or something of, all like of that. All of these, at least in season one, all of them are short stories from another source. 
I gotcha. I gotcha. And like, I, I read up on the guy, like, um, like, unfortunately, like my notes, I put all these sniffs into my email with all my notes and stuff like that. And the stupid email didn't take the sniffs over. So, um, some of the names I'm a little rusty mm-hmm. on, but the, uh, the guy who wrote that, like, he's a, it's a series of like science fiction books and stuff. Yeah. He's got a truck truckload of them. And like, it, it illustrates like when I see this, and like I see some of the like the details that go into this, like I could see brilliance in there, and like I just like what I'm seeing in this brilliance is just like something, just somebody needs to come in here and like kind of do some house cleaning, maybe maybe even give it to the author just to like totally expand upon what his vision would be if he did have an hour and a half, and I think we'd end up with a really really cool product when mm-hmm. it was all said and done. I I totally agree with you that. It, it there I think they're from season one there's probably five or six that really with <clears throat> with the right with the right direction you could make into a 90 minute 100 minute you know hour and a half you know two hour movie and mm-hmm. this is for certain one of them and I think it's because because of how much would you would you get beyond the really long sex scene um <clears throat> would you get beyond that and even even like the non-sex scene just them like lying in bed and stuff talking. Once you get beyond that, like there's, there's clearly a lot to mine that you could just continuously pull from and that you could, even if it's not in the original story, there's just like, you could make an easy jump to how this would figure into how this piece could, could be a 10, you know, a five minute scene, how this piece mm-hmm. could be the first act, the second act, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You could easily see that in Beyond the Aquila Rift. Oh yeah, like the woman um, who is the, the the partner with Tom on the ship and everything, who's convinced she calculated it right. Yeah, there's, I would I'd assume the navigator. There's a whole yeah. bunch of things you could do with her. Yeah, easily there could be scenes of her figuring stuff out and everything, like little two and three minutes that somehow accumulate to like fifteen minutes in the movie total. Mm-hmm. Bam, there's ten percent of your movie. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I could not agree with you more. I did um, with my feature film here. I'll, I'll start there as well. I obviously went with the Secret War because I want to see the full two-hour version of this movie. Um, yeah. I think you can keep it more or less the same um, in terms of like how they, you know, how they work their way into this battle with these demons. But I mean, you could even it'd be it's a, such an easy thing where this is your sort of you know second act reveal. Um, the first act would be actual like warfare, like they are fighting Germans. Uh, we mm-hmm. get we get more of a background as to what this unit actually is. You know, like maybe they're specifically trying to find a certain German unit for whatever reason, like whatever their mission is. They're specialized, but we, we'd get a whole bunch of background info on what they're actually doing, and we'd see some regular war battles before we got to um, where we start this movie off. And so I think you could do it that way, or I think if you wanted to like really really polish this thing up and make it into a, a big time like type of war movie. You could tie this to an actual armed conflict that mm-hmm. happened in World War II and sort of start from there with the same concept. Um, are you familiar with the Battle of Kursk, Gemma? Uh, no, I am not, actually. It's the largest armed conflict in modern human history. Um, almost okay. two million soldiers between uh, Russia and Germany fought in the Battle of Kursk. Um, tens of thousands of tanks, tens of thousands of uh, artillery units, just you know, thousands of planes... Uh, some of the some of the uh, like there are some of the stories from the soldiers who were involved in the Battle of Curse talk about how like the, the sky was black for days from all the all the smoke from all the burning vehicles and stuff like it just it blacked out the sun for days. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, how about the reason why the Battle of Curse was so bad is because the fighting between the Russians and Germans unearthed all these demons, and 
that's like your that's like your 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 mid you know your your climax are the Germans and the Russians fighting alongside each other to beat back this army. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, dude. Like there's so much that you could do with this. And the fact that like, it looks like it takes place in like a world war two setting. You could tie in a whole bunch of different things to this. There could be like Germans and stuff like that, that have like enemy subplots you right. know, throughout. So you can kind of see like a little bit of like the antagonist and the behind the scenes actions there. Um, you could tie this into got even stuff beyond what we saw at the, like the pl- maybe the planes come in and they wipe out one section, but Hey, turns out over the other side of the hill, there's a whole fucking right. lot more of them. And right. those planes are out of bombs, like something along those lines. There's just so much that you could do with these kinds of stories. There's so many different things that you could write in so many different directions, twists and turns and like just really cool situational action that you could mine out of this thing. I agree. I agree. Um, let me, let me jump into my TV show here real quick, Shama, cause this will be quick. Okay. Um, I want an anthology comedy series, not too unlike drunk history, but alternate histories. Yeah. That was something I was thinking about putting Give it to me. To. Yeah, every, every week yep. we're just doing a half hour where like I because I, I love the ending of alternate histories where it's Lincoln shoots first is yep. is the alternate history show me that show me all of these kind of like histories greatest or maybe not even so greatest what ifs and let's just mm-hmm. do that every week I could I could live in that show man yep. like there's so many different possibilities for that just so many they could do if Lincoln shot first if Lincoln had to go to the bathroom like right. all of these different things you know and like and that's the cool thing about stuff like that is that it's rooted in history. There's things that people have thought about. I mean, there's probably obscure, there's probably the most obscure history theories in the world out there that we don't even know about that are just so goddamn crazy. We can't even think about it that they could put into this. Kind exactly. Of stuff. Exactly. There's, there's just, you could go any direction with this and it, it would almost like a guarantee. You would almost have to, it's sort of like pizza. You really mm-hmm. got to fuck up pizza to, to be, to make it bad. So like yeah. this is the kind of thing that you'd really have to fuck up to not make it funny. Yeah, there's such a great template there and everything. Like you would, it's basically coming down to shitty jokes. That's the only way you're messing this exactly, up. Exactly, exactly. How about you? Your your TV show. Okay, so this one's going to be another quick one too. But dude, I would make the Secret War into a fucking TV show that lasted go. as long as it needed to. I'm <laughs> telling you, all the stuff that you were saying about like starting it off in some other point in World War II, I would do that. I would take deep dives into this, the characters. I would make it Band of Brothers, but like in a um, a future, like in a World War II against like creature type setting and stuff. And there'd be all, you know, like just different characters and stuff you meet along the way. Maybe they're trying to get to the nest, and there's like remnants of like kind of like what they had with the village. Like maybe there's more of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe there's like the one Russian guy who wants to save one of the things for science and all this stuff. And like, there's uh, I would pack as much goddamn conflict as I could. And I would seriously make this uh, Russian Starship Troopers in the winter. The show. And I love it. I do 10 episode miniseries. I think that'd, that'd be yep. a fucking winner right there. That That's all I would need to do. Like that's basically like when I say however this needs to go, a limited one series event type thing that's the way to do it who who would um who would be the showrunner that is a very very good question so oh god i'm probably i mean i would definitely put like lindel off up for anything but i almost think that this is like too lowbrow for him um so you know let's throw alan ball in there he did awesome with his work in banshee and the action stuff there I think that that guy's intelligence um, put in this situation would do would do a pretty good job. Well, I want to I, I want to give proper credit. Alan Ball definitely was like the the EP, but like the showrunner okay. is Jonathan Tropper. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. But yeah. Like, yeah. So Jonathan Tropper guys? in his hands. Yeah. 
yeah, those two guys put it put it together. Gotcha, gotcha. Like it, I like it a lot. All right, so then Chemo, let's get into season two of Love, Death, and Robots. And how would you sum up this slate of movies in one sentence? Okay, just like Artificial Intelligence, Volume Two of Love, Death, and Robots is now self-aware. So, meaning basically that um, I think that they know what they got, and um, season two is them doing the best they can to put to establish their identity. I 100% agree with that. Love the uh, love the Terminator reference there as well. Um, yeah, dude, you're 100% right um, that. It, it, this this is a more this is a more self-aware series now and you know if there's a season three i can't imagine there wouldn't be because uh, i can't imagine this costs much um that season three will be even more refined and seasons two and three will look much more like each other than they do season one um mm-hmm. so i love that and you're absolutely right and then i here's how i put it with a few exceptions really only two exceptions these films are trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. There is a clear message in in all of these movies, with a, with a couple of exceptions. There's a very clear message. Whereas I think you could go through season one and see three or four movies in a row, and there's nothing beyond what they're showing you. Oh, yeah, dude. Season one has definitely got, like, just, um, hey, this is what we can do with the money we were given. Hey, this animation studio knows how to make trash look like a cool monster. These are more like statement pieces, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't we? I, I, it's, it seems stupid to do a top five from the season because there's eight movies. So um, we would just be talking about the entirety, basically, of the season. So let's just focus on our top movie from this season. Uh, so, Chem, I'll, I'll kick it off with you again. What was your top one from the season? Okay, man. This one, um, this is probably my favorite overall between the two volumes um so different so just such a beautiful like hauntingly beautiful statement about society and the critique of human beings in general um the drowned giant from tim miller okay was just i i was i was like moved by this actually and i thought that um what they were trying to do with this particular story is like a hundred percent. Right. Um, so for starters, like the animation is, um, it's CGI, obviously, um, it's CGI where people look realistic, but they're stylized enough to like, you know, you can identify that. Yeah. It's, it's photo real, but yeah, it's a different type. Yeah. Like an an artist take on human beings, you know, to, to, to say the least and stuff like that, but it, but it looked really good. Um, the giant that they had wash up ashore, the, the film is basically about um, a giant washes upon the shore of like what looks to be like somewhere in the UK. Yeah. Um, the giant looks a lot like Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know Dude, if you I caught the same. that. But, <laughs> yeah, but I, was, yeah, I was like, did he model for this? Like, how did they do this so accurately to Dennis? And, and then, then D washes up later. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> but they don't, but no one does anything with her. No, they're just stupid alone. bitch. Get out of here. You look like a bird. Right. They push her back into the scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like the, um, so this giant like washes upon the shore and everything. And it's like this researcher is like, like a researcher scientist is kind of like the main character. And the story like kind of chronic chronicles um, this researcher's observation of this giant and everything. And like, I, I think he basically like walks us through 
almost like this perfect snapshot of like humanity and curiosity and the things that we don't understand and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like in the beginning, like the giant washes ashore and it's like this, like, you know, kind of like, I guess, pristine dead body. If um, it's like, you know, just basically like, it's like if you or I like right now, just all of a sudden like washed upon the shore or whatever, there's Mm -hmm. no real like damage that's been done to us. And then like, you know, throughout um, this, you know, unidentified period of time, like the body decompresses, people start to vandalize the the giant, they start to cut him up, they start to, you know, take his body. And in the end, like, it's, you know, just basically like this torso that's left. Um, and then in the end, like just bones basically just left there on the beach. And like, I think it's this really unique statement about humanity where it's like, you know, at first we maybe like intimidated by something, then as soon as we find out that it's not threatening, instead of like, you know, maybe honoring it, instead of maybe learning from it, instead of maybe like uh, appreciating it, we just like destroy it, you know? And um, it starts off with like this vandalizing of the, of the giant and stuff. And then all of a sudden like a limb is missing and they show these people like planning on the beach, like, Hey, you know, if we, we do it now, like the meat will still be good or something like that, you know? And it just shows that like people, don't even see this as like a phenomenon. They see it as like an opportunity and everything. And then as a way to make money. And, uh, and then by the end of time, like in the end of the film, like the, the, the bones and everything from the giant find themselves all over the place. Like a skull is built into the side of somebody's house. There's a bone above like a butcher shop and everything. And, um, you know, this guy like returns to the beach and there's like, just nothing. It's just like nothing there. Like this, this giant is gone. And, um, I think what Tim Miller like achieved in this just really unusual left of center short film in this short film collection is just like one of the most, just like I said, it's just like a disturbingly beautiful critique of, of who we really are as a society. And um, when I just like say, you know, disturbingly beautiful, it's just because in, in there, it's not necessarily, we're not necessarily like looking all that great. Yeah, um, very, very well said, first off. Um, I, and I, I just want to add to your points that, and kind of expand upon some of the things you touched there, that um, I saw it as sort of how we commodify every single thing around us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when we commodify nature, we commodify the mm-hmm. trees, we commodify the animals um, for food, for work, we, you know, whatever whatever we need them for. Um, everything is something, everything is something that can be sold or spun into something else for us. And maybe it is, it is a not very subtle symbolism that it's a giant fucking person that Mm -hmm. is being chopped up and sold into, into commodities that, that we treat ourselves that way too, that Mm -hmm. we sell ourselves for work. We sell ourselves for what, you know. Uh, you know, our time, our bodies are commodities for, for other people, mm-hmm. for other things. And it's, and it's not surprising that once we get over the wonder that, you know, of, of this sort of amazing thing in nature that we just immediately destroy it and turn it into something that can make us money or make us more, you know, we can research, we can do whatever else with, we're not at awe anymore. We are just over it and it's now a commodity. 
Right. And like, I remember when we talked um, last episode and I said that like the minute that the second clone is created, the first clone is either going to be shot, killed or, or uh, worshipped or whatever the third one was. And this, it kind of reminded me of that little mm-hmm. like this, this discussion that we had and stuff. And you're right, this, this commodifying of everything. And they touch in this in, in certain movies, like even in like Pacific Rim and even in like the Spider-Man and stuff like that, where like, you know, they're commodifying these giant kaijus and like Michael Keaton's character is commodifying alien remnants and weapons and stuff like that i mean it's just a really like it's just such a like statement such a true picture of what like what maybe like a capitalist society can do to the thought process of human beings and or even like i know that this takes place in britain and capitalism isn't necessarily like as much of a in-your-face type thing to the point where you know we're they're willing to go to war for it like we are but um it's just like, yeah, I mean, they, we'll even take we'll even take human beings and do whatever we can as long as it in, enriches us. You know, it makes you mm-hmm. wonder, like, where that line really is drawn. You know, would that would these people do what they did in commodifying like like regular human beings, like non giants and stuff? Like, it almost leads me to believe that if the situation were there, that the answer is yes. Like, if they're willing to do it for one massive giant, why not do it for normal people if the opportunity is there? Oh, we do. We have movies and play sports. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. So yes, we do. Right. Yes, you're correct. We do. Yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. <laughs> I mean, the difference being they get paid. Um, yeah. But right. it is it is it is another way to commodify humanity, but also sex work. Um you know, legal, legal sex work, illegal sex work. Um, but also the way that, uh, you know, people are sold into slavery, things like that. We commodify human beings. We've, we've been doing it for a while, Gemma. That's true. Yeah, you're right. That's true. (laughs) But good choice. Good choice. And I like the, I like that you went with one of the deeper ones. Um, very, very good choice. Yeah. Um, I gotta tell you, man, it really like, just what a nice, pleasant, like twist at the, at the end of season two. I'm telling you, it was just so different, but I, but I really enjoyed it. Oh, if you, if this movie was in season one, it would be jarring how different it is. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. This would be, this would be like something that like, you know, this could have been like one of those movies that like shot love death and robots into like the discussion about like you know simple like it could be like one of those studyable type things if this was in season one like it would just been right. such a out there statement for everything else like i think that this would have been a real attention getter right absolutely absolutely um i also went with um <clears throat> i also went my, my top movie from the season is also one that i would consider probably my favorite overall um it also is telling a much deeper story in a very kind of tragic sort of way um, and I went with Pop Squad. Oh, that's um, so good. A photoreal uh, CGI animation about a future where immortality is very possible. Um, but because people don't die, the unregistered, unlicensed people can't have children. Because mm-hmm. there's obvious rampant overcrowding. And in particular, it follows a, um, a detective, Detective Briggs who's the, you know, the lead of this pop squad that arrests these people in, uh, living in, uh, living in, I'll get to the way the city's laid out here in a second, but living, uh, below the clouds, um, in kind of squalor who are having unlicensed and unregistered children. And in an even darker twist than that, he has to eliminate the children. Um, uh, you know, that's, that is his job. His job day to day are finding these people and killing their children. Um, thankfully we don't see any of this uh, killing of the children. Um, that's for, for 
maybe they would have shown that in season one, but certainly there's no way they would show something like that <laughs> right. in season two. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, right there, we're already getting into the idea of, um, and it's not, it's not explicitly stated, but it's very obvious from the way the city is set up, um, the city that we're in, which also might be the UK because the same, um, the same collectible shop is in the Drowned Giant, uh, Ipswich Collectibles. Um, oh, okay. Um, so it's probably the UK as well. Uh, so future, I guess future Ipswich. Um, but the way the city is set up, there are people that live it, below the clouds. It's very much film noir. Uh, it's dark. Um, even Detective Briggs looks like he's taken from the 1940s. Um, it's raining. Everyone's in dark clothing. Everything it looks like shit. It's awful. Um, and then he lives above the clouds with his uh, partner. Um, I was going to say wife, but I just remember that like they, they're not going to get married. What's the point of getting married if we're going to live forever? Um, mm-hmm. And above the clouds, everything is like this gorgeous. You know, you're you're up you're up above the inclement weather, constant sunshine, blue skies. Everything looks fantastic above the clouds. So while it's not specifically stated, it's very obvious that it's sort of a rich versus poor kind of dynamic too. Um, which is, you know, when we talk about, I don't want to get too far, I don't, I don't want to get too far into this, but when we talk about, like, the people who are most affected by um, sexual health restrictions that states place on their citizens, it disproportionately affects poor people. Because oh, yeah. rich people will always have access to, you know, to um to birth control to um prenatal care to neonatal care um child care mm-hmm. they poor people don't have access to that so when you begin right. shutting down planned parenthoods um you know you take away the options for people to family plan i don't know if if it was if that was a specific call out but it certainly is there that mm-hmm. that the rich are basically telling the poor that they can't have kids right oh yeah uh, so it's, you know, it's, I mean, I don't know. I'm saying like, I don't know if that's a critique of Planned Parenthood necessarily, but like you could easily pick up on that thread. Um, so I, what I really, what I really, really enjoy, this is, sounds extraordinarily depressing. So of course it's one of my, so of course it's my favorite. But what I really, really like about this is how, as this short moves on, Detective, you know, obviously Detective Briggs changes his mind on the idea of this. And what really is pretty incredible, if you if you're to go back and watch this one, the way that Briggs wears everything on his face, that from scene to scene, he looks more and more conflicted over mm-hmm. what is happening. It's on his face, it's in his voice, it's obviously in his actions. But the animation job that they do on the actor that plays him is Nolan North, um, another prolific uh, voice actor, also regular actor too, but definitely like a prolific voice actor. Um, the the job they do making him wear all these de- decisions on his face and body is just exquisite. It's awesome to see him go from you know from the first time we see him when he's raising his gun towards this child who can't be more than what six months old, eight months old. Yeah, little kid. Little kid. You can see it on his face that he doesn't want to do it anymore. And then by the time we get to the end, you know whether we have well, let me let me get to another part here. Um, where he's with his partner in the doctor's office, you know, getting her treatment, her immortality treatment, basically. And she's kind of, she she's happy looking with her life and her decisions. And when he asks her kind of probing questions about marriage, about, you know, like, why do they do this? You can see it on his face that he's unhappy. 
And then mm-hmm. it takes all the way to the end with his encounter with this woman in this dilapidated house, um, you know, that's got holes and shit in it. But, you know, it's still in this oddly pristine meadow in the middle of the city. Um, that, like, it isn't until after her his discussion with her and about her kid that, like, you can see his face change. And then, like, mm-hmm. that's, like, he's a legitimately changed man, and it's all right there in his face. And it's all right there when he uh, when he kills his partner to protect her. Um, it, it's just, it's one of those things, it's, it's actually a fairly quiet one. There isn't a lot of dialogue in it. Um, like, this is why I think it's really important that the animation really, the animation of Briggs' face really gets across to you so you can see what he's going through. Yeah, dude, that is one of these ones that um, that really sticks in your mind. Pop Squad is a fantastic, a fan-fucking-tastic short film. The thing that really, really moved me was the monologue from the mom at, at the end mm-hmm. of the, um, it's towards the end of the um, short film. And it is just like... It's just like a higher brow of writing. Like, I mean, like, I really, really felt that and everything. And then he asked her, like, why she does what she does. And then it turns out, like, she's 200-something years old, too. You know, mm-hmm. there's that little, like, twist in there and everything. And this guy who, like, as a cop, like, only sees one side of it. You know, he only sees the, these people are overpopulating. This is against the law. But he fails to see like the humanistic side of it, and it's it almost is the the classic like stealing for food type thing. Like yeah, you're stealing, but you're stealing to feed your family and stuff like that. I, I don't know if that makes it any better or not, but it is definitely a more of a humanistic, um, a humanistic angle to a crime and everything like that. And throughout the throughout the course of the short film, like I think he becomes a little more like human and everything he becomes a little more understanding of what the situation is and when he sees that you know that that guy that they're arresting get a gun and try to shoot him and stuff like that like that the passion in that guy's eyes i I think that you know that is just another step in in this character's journey to i guess like ultimately become like a better human being i think would be like the the ending goal for him like Mm -hmm. not real realizing what he's been doing is is inhumane it's it's wrong you know like and um the what they do imagery wise uh, leading throughout the way like just uh, the woman in the beginning and these children these dilapidated housing the the other police officers wearing these like crazy funky gas masks like this uh cyberpunk noir thing where you're looking at a 46 ford that can fly there's just all this cool stuff that really makes pop squad a just such a fucking unique thing you know mm-hmm. and, I, and i'm not gonna lie like part of me was kind of waiting for like a sort of blade runnery type um short film in love death and robots and i was very happy to get it in the the second or third one yeah, yeah. the third yeah. the third one mm-hmm. yeah um <clears throat> so what movies movie or movies did you not really connect with okay t- a tall grass little underwhelming there yeah um it just once again like that was the fourth installment so i believe it was right after it was right after pop squad yeah so you go from pop squad to that like i'm sorry tall grass it's just like it's it's like opening up for hendrix <laughs> you know you're, you're kind of screwed either way on that one mm-hmm. um but like in, in general it was just another one if something breaks down what's out there kind of stories you yeah. know like it's just it's it's cool but it's just nothing like in compared to like what else is on there and what else was a part of volume two exactly. yeah 
and uh yeah actually that that was the one i didn't connect with i keep forgetting there was only eight in this uh, right, right. yeah I, I i didn't put it on there i, I do want to talk about tall grass a little bit later uh, but for me it was ice it, okay it's like i get exactly what it's going for like the coming of age story um mm-hmm. i mean if you strip away the sci-fi-ness of this it's it's a story about a kid who's moved to a new town new school got to make new friends and his right. brother's the one who's more able to fit in. Add yeah. in all the sci-fi stuff. It's a different planet for a job, presumably for his parents' job. Um, and the thing that makes him not fit in is that he's not biologically enhanced to survive on this ice planet for whatever mm-hmm. the hell it is that they're looking for uh, or mining or drilling for there. And, like, I totally get it. Like, he's got to sort of prove himself to these people to sort of to fit in with a friend group. Like, we've seen that story a million times. It just kind of felt... I think I think the over the top setting of it kind of distracted me from the story of it. Um, I got gotcha. I, I think the animation's totally fine. It's again not something that like I consider my favorite, but it's definitely very stark and very interesting looking. But I just think like the the sort of the sort of like over the top amazingness of it kind of took away from that story just a little bit. Yeah, I got what you're saying here. Like the. Um... The story itself is actually like, you know, kind of basic and there's a lot you, you could do there and stuff, but they're just, I don't know, they're just not really hitting on some of the other things. Like, I don't even really know if the guy really truly felt accepted at the end or whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't really know if they did a good job of building up him not being accepted in the beginning. And the one thing I couldn't stand about this, like, it's so dumb, but the one thing I really hated was the fact that they were calling people extras it almost looks like that is somewhere on a list of names to call stuff in between two things that are really, really good. And like, they just decided to go with extra. I, I don't know. This yeah. is when they, when they hearing it, it just doesn't sound right. Like they, I just even see it. And just like, there's no way that somebody would call somebody that in the future. It almost just seems like how things were in the olden days where you had to add a name for everything. It's, it's kind of like something like that. Um, that really like kind of, put me off and like it kind of sucks because all the stuff with the ice whales or whatever they were called the the frost whales yeah was awesome that was really that was cool a really cool fucking scene yeah that, that was, was really a really cool. really cool goddamn part i just wish everything before and after it was better <laughs> exactly exactly no it was uh I, I wouldn't say this is like a missed opportunity necessarily it just i don't know it, it almost feels like it almost feels like there's two different stories here that you could that you could make and mm-hmm. each one would be better than what this one was of, of course, without a doubt. I, I would be safe to assume that there's a lot of different things that they could do with this world, the setting, the idea of the enhanced people and everything being able to survive and live on. But there's a lot of stuff they could do there. It's just they seem to pick the wrong kind yeah. of ways to go. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so how about uh, how about any runners up and like just what made you consider them potentially as your top movie? Okay, so um, I got one here. This is the third perfect short film out of the um, out of the two volumes. All throughout the house is yep, fucking perfect. Baby. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus! You want to talk about a way to do a goddamn short film? That is a way to do a goddamn short film. Once again, hits all of my top three. There's no dead weight. Creativity. A lot of questions to be asked about what takes place before and after and everything. And it's like, in, in all reality, it's kind of like a Pixar movie. It with like just a really dangerous like monster and stuff like that. And then you see this dangerous monster and escalation. Like the monster's there. 
okay, what are these kids going to do? They're scared. The monster comes up to them. Another escalation. He starts smelling them. They've both been good. What the hell is about to happen next? Pukes up presents and everything like that. The kid, the the boy opens up the, the present. Oh my God, it's exactly what I wanted. Some really fucking cool twist. And then at the end, another cool cliffhanger escalation <laughs> know, where it's like, this is so what great. happens if we would have been bad? bad. Yep. Amazing, amazing. And like this reminded me like um, this was very similar to, to Lights Out in terms of what I call perfection. This is perfect in the way that alternate histories is, is like perfect to me. It's perfect in the way that um, uh, the witness is perfect, but not as not as you know, in depth on the sex stuff or like the, the high concept next mm-hmm. shit or whatever. This is just a straight up like holiday sci-fi story that is just so unique and brilliant and perfect in every way. It is. This was, this was, um, since I usually, when I write these, I let you go first, uh, generally mm-hmm. speaking. So this like, had you picked pop squad, this was going to be my top. Like I really had a tough time choosing between them. So, had you pick Pop Squad instead of going on again more about it, this was going to mm-hmm. be my top movie just to, you know, just change the discussion up a little bit. Yeah. Dude, this thing, you hit it exactly, exactly what I'm looking at on my outline here is that when I think of short movies, this is what a short movie should be. It's mm-hmm. a simple concept. It stretches it to a place that, that, that most, you know, that most uh, full features wouldn't normally go to. And like it leaves you with, it leaves you with a feeling of either you know, in the, in this case it's a black comedy, so it leaves you with that feeling of like delightful, um, delightful horror I'll call it, um, or you know if it was or if it was just a straight comedy it's just it's hilarious if it's a drama like Pop Squad you leave feeling the weight of it, like this in how long is this one eight minutes, if that it's yeah very short it might even yeah it might be like six minutes in that six minute six to eight minute like stretch. I was cackling and just, I fucking loved this so much because this is just, this is what to me, short filmmaking distilled should be is all through Mm -hmm. the house. This is it. Yeah, man. Like everything about it, dude, just every single thing about it. And it's like, it comes and goes so quickly. And when you're at the end of it, you just have this like satisfaction level that I don't know if I felt with the other ones, like the other ones, some of the other films were moving. They were in depth. They were thinkers. Like this was like a, this was just like straight up. I am so satisfied right now. And like I said, I watched season two first. So this would have been like the fourth or fifth, like short film that I saw. And I was like, why can't it? Like, I'm hoping every one of them yeah. that is going this route is like this. And yeah. I, the only one that even really touches it are alternate histories and the, the yogurt one. And yeah. I, I, I think that this one is a little bit better than, um, than, yo- than yogurts and um, uh, alternate histories. I would agree with that. Yeah. And Chama, even in this, even in this, in, in the, in the brevity of this one, we get like, we get like classic horror uh, moments where like, I, I call it getting the rug pulled out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, they do them back to back in such a perfect way. Um, so you get the rug pulled out from underneath you when the kids go downstairs and instead of Santa, this fucking creature, this slimy fucking creature with no eyes, a pair of big hands covering its mouth comes just fucking ambling towards them, right? Looks like something. Right. Looks like something that Ridley Scott made um, mm-hmm. from the Alien franchise. But then, like, you get another rug pulled out from underneath you. When, by the way, that is Santa. Like, mm-hmm. you know, at first the kid thinks, like, holy, sh-, you know, the kids and you are sitting there going, like, what the fuck is this? Oh no, this is Santa. 
This is right. why you don't go downstairs and look for Santa because he will scare the fucking bejeebus out of you. So <laughs> it's it's like it's like a it's a it, it's just like this two rug pulling moments where like oh no we're being invaded by this creature oh no no that creature is Santa that's how you get right. presents I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and it could be this whole thing where, like, you know, the, what we, the image that we know of Santa, like the, the Thomas Nass Santa Claus, I believe, is who did, was the artist, I think. Yeah. Um, like, that maybe that is, like, the lie. Like, that's right. what they tell kids. Like, hey, this is what he really looks like, you know? And um, and that is as a way to, like, you know, kind of dumb down the overall experience. Like, hey, you know, just don't bug the guy when he's working, you know? But right. in all, it's just, a, it's like a lie within a lie. Right, exactly. There's generational trauma from the Santa from kids all across the world every year because it, it's a fucking alien monster right. that like, and I, and I, you're right. Like the ending is how you end a short film. What would have happened if we were bad? Mm -hmm. Love it. Sim simple line, simple fade out and just cap it off the right in a way that I, there's no other way you can end the movie. There's no other way. No, no other way. No. Um, so of the of these, excuse me, <clears throat> of these movies, what was the most interesting world that we visited? And I asked this question because, as as we mentioned in um, as we mentioned in, the, in our first episode when we covered my choices, that I, I picked several movies that tried to do world building, and I mm -hmm. I think that season two fits in there as well. That we're really trying a little bit harder, <clears throat> harder, excuse me, to build uh, to build a world for us to to kind of be curious about. Uh, would would you agree with that? Oh yes, without okay. a doubt. Yes, yeah. definitely. So then, like, to that end, which world, world do you think is the most interesting? I'm playing the Pop Squad world here. Like, um, I I believe, with the exception of Elysium, the overpopulation notion I is is kind of unknown to me. Like, I, I don't really know if there's a lot of films that go the whole like there's too many people living here. That's why it is the way it is. Route. Um, so it seemed rather fresh to me. Like, I guess I just am really struggling to pull overpopulation. I, I, I want to say like Logan's run. Okay. And then, um, cause like they kill you like when you're 21. Um, okay. and then I, I guess maybe not directly, but like it's implied the like the reason the soil and green where okay. they're using people to make food. I gotcha. Okay. I got, but you. otherwise, okay. yeah, it's not like something that really gets explored that deeply. Yeah, it's like it's and those, seems and like those out of examples are both very old. Yeah, it seems like something that um could be could be more, you know, like could be something that could be done in, in movies more. And I, I guess I just I don't know why it's done more. And like the fact that it isn't um used as much as I was under the impression really had this freshness kind of feel to me. Mm -hmm. Um I loved, like I said, this weird noir type world where it's like the 40s um to a certain degree and then it's like not all at the same time i, I don't necessarily consider it to be cyberpunky like it just doesn't have the same loud vibrant kind of images that i yeah. associate with cyberpunk like altered carbon and blade runner and stuff like that it just doesn't have that but there is definitely like this certain like Blade Runnery type element about it whether it be the the detectives and the, the police and all that the the you know, retirement, I, I guess, so to speak. Um, so it was just something that I thought was just like really cool, unique is very, you know, easy to explain, but it did offer this like, you know, kind of undefined amount of possibilities as to what they could run into in this world. Like when it came, when it came to the elite, the people like above the clouds and everything, like, 
what are these people really like? I'm sure there's some really twisted shit going on here that if this was a feature length movie, they could have dabbled into a little bit more. Um, so like, I was just a fan. I love the, the trees growing out of all the buildings and stuff. Mm. Like, I, I, I don't know if, uh, I, I'm pretty safe to assume that like in our lifetimes, we're never going to see like that mega city imagery, but, um, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be there in the future. So there's just a lot of stuff that, um, going on there that is really, really hitting it on the head in terms of the world and the, the world building. Yeah, it, it is. They, they do, a, they really do a fabulous job in pop squad of making you, feel the dichotomy of the worlds and like how you feel really feeling the i guess like the 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 life below the clouds like you really wear that one basically on you as you're watching it Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's so impressive like that is one that um if they wanted to pull a feature i'm all for it give that production team another crack to do volume three I'm all for it. It's just, that was one that like, it was just, yeah, I didn't expect to be moved by that one. Moved yeah. That I, gotcha, I gotcha. Um, Chema, I am, I am all in on knowing more about snow in the desert and okay. this planet that, that we're introduced to. And some of the, some of the players in this, uh, in this short film that we're introduced to, I mm-hmm. won the planet itself. Uh, okay. We've made an outpost on a planet that is apparently scorched constantly by uh by a, a star that is really hot um as is evidenced by the fact that uh paying for water apparently costs you an arm and a leg um and you know amongst it like amongst other things like it's dangerous to go out in the daylight um unless you're like a big reptilian person which in that case it seems like it's totally fine um i just this whole thing that they set up i think the, i think the movie's totally fine um, wasn't my favorite. It, it would probably rank like basically in the middle of the season, maybe towards the bottom a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but like, I think that there's a lot of like, I think that there's a lot more here and I think that they just give some really good hints as to like the, the sort of extent of this world. I mean, it, it starts with just the setting itself. Um, some, then, then we get to the characters that we meet briefly, the mercenaries, uh, this big fucking lizard man, um, that is stalking around. Right. Um, Snow himself. Um, what the fuck is he? Um, Harald, his partner. What the fuck is she and what's going on with her? There's mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of questions that I do want answered and I would really be interested in knowing more about it. Yeah, the fact that they really narrowed the focus of that short film while there is this big, immersive, unexplored world around it, I think is just so much room to really want to get to know what's going on there. Yeah. And like if they have this... Um, you know, maybe sort of advanced like technology with the water's out. And like, you have this guy who's like a, a mortal with regenerative abilities. There's just so much you could fucking do there. There's, there's gotta be so much that, um, that they probably have in a, like a let's develop the world section of their notebook that they probably never even got into. Cause probably. there's just no time for it. Probably it's this one sort of feels like a, I, I know we've talked about it many times before, um, but like the, uh, Lindelof's, um, you know, what's the best answer to a mystery box? It's a person, right? It, mm-hmm. it feels like all of the characters that we're introduced to are sort of mystery box characters that like, there's yeah. clearly more to them that we could explore that, that really yeah. sort of like, how do they, how do, and you know, so there's a lot to the characters we want to explore and then how the fuck do they all end up here? Right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. That's a very good point. That's right. Uh, how about a the uh, same thing from last time, but a, a, a movie that had a good concept, but maybe the execution was off that you would tweak a little bit. 
Okay, so out of all the ones in Volume 2, Life Hutch, I think, is the only one I could really put into this category. Mm-hmm. And for having Michael B. Jordan in it, and for having some, like, really awesome, like, this was probably the best, like, imagery, like, uh, you know, like, if we're talking, like, this, the stars and the planets and all the crazy shit in space, yeah. like, I think that this one is definitely like the the best one maybe number two like behind just like just insert random one here that had cool imagery but um so i guess like i expected more i guess like i had michael b jordan being in it like the the biggest case of star power in volume two in either volume and in either volume yeah that's yeah. right in either volume um and I don't know. It just kind of fell short with me. Like, it's like, yeah, you know, so he's, he fights a robot and stuff and then he waits for, um, you know, he waits for like the, the rescue team and everything like that. He tricks the robot with a flashlight. Like there just could have been a lot more here. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it necessarily means two robots. I, I don't necessarily know if it means like another human being that he has along with him that maybe gets taken out, but it just, there could have been more. And like, when I see his name on stuff and like, I like, Michael B. Jordan's like the goddamn man. Like, I don't even really know if he's done a shitty movie. Maybe the Fantastic Four, maybe like that might be his worst yeah, one. Like, oh, but, yeah, we can, but, we can go ahead and point to that one. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like for, you know, when I heard about Creed, I was like, Oh God, like, what are they going to do? And then turns out Creed is fucking awesome. Creed two is awesome. Mm-hmm. So like he has got such an impressive, like um, filmography and everything that this one, like, it just kind of is like, okay, like, did he have the weekend off? Like, did, is this something that he personally lobbied for? Like, there's just, I guess I have more questions about how this movie got made than I do the world that we see in the movie. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying there. Um, I think this is one of those cases, this is one of those cases that, um, maybe the star power is a little bit overwhelming. Because okay. you're kind of just like I, I, I feel like I'm watching. I'm like, ooh, Michael B. Jordan. This kind of takes it up a notch. What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. And then it, it just doesn't go up a notch, right? So like, I think yeah. if this was, if this was any other unnamed or you know, not unnamed but just less popular actor, it might have sat differently. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like when we were talking last episode about the star power and everything, like. You know, Michael, like Fassbender and Liam, uh, Liam Cunningham and everything like that. Like it's I see this and like I think maybe like to me, like it, it may be like, OK, like star power. And there's something about those two that I feel an unnamed actor could not bring to the table. I, I even gave the, the example yeah. in the last episode. This is one they could have cast me in this fucking thing. I think it maybe would have been different. I mean, there's there's almost no dialogue. So it's, right. it's not like we needed someone to do exposition and stuff. Um, not again, Michael B. Jordan's great. Like he does, you know, the, he does all the face acting that's necessary for, it, but like literally could have been anyone. Yeah. There's just like nothing special about like why Michael B. Jordan would be doing this. You yeah. know, like, and like I said, I saw his name and then I'm like, all right, here we go. Some fucking star power. And then it's like, oh yeah, let's just go to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I went with the tall grass. And okay. it's less the concept and story, and it's more the fact that I just love the animation. That okay. this kind of oil painting come to life, basically. Yeah. Um I, I really loved looking at it. It was just, it felt, it felt like, like, for all the, when, when we talk about the stuff that feels out of place, this one does feel slightly out of place, but, like, in a good way. That, like, we're gonna, we're gonna do something throwback, 
and we're going to make it look throwback. We're going to make it mm-hmm. look like a contemporary painting from this time period, which, you know, could have been, looks like it could have been any time from like maybe the 1870s to the early 1900s. Um, right. Would be my general guess. And so like they made it look like, they, they styled it in a way that like art would also look like that at that point in time. Um, mm-hmm. So I love that. It just like, I, I, this has, this is lacking something that I cannot put my thumb on. If there's just a little oomph that it needed, and I, I, Chim, I really don't know what it is, but I feel like if they could have found that spark, that oomph, whatever you want to call it, that this one probably could have shot up even higher for me just because I like the animation so much. Yeah, you're right. There's really, there is no spark. There is no nothing like that. The animation is actually really cool. That is a very different take on the non, like, CGI human yeah. photo stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, is by far and away one of the, the more unique ones. And they just didn't have much. Like, there just was nothing really cool, no hooks really, no nothing to say, like, oh, my God, that this is so unique other than the way that it looks. Right, right, exactly. Just there's creatures out in the grass that are potentially been pulling people into the grass for years. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. That's, that's fine. But like, I need, I need, I just needed something more and I just can't identify what the more I needed. Yeah, I dude, I totally understand what you're saying. And like, I almost feel that anything that I would pitch as far as like, what could be more, it's not going to be anything that's going to be genius enough to shoot that thing into the stratosphere. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so same questions that we kind of finished out with before for season one. You get to make you get to make one of these into a TV show and one of these into a full feature. So um, let's let's do it in reverse. What are you going to do for your TV series? Okay, so the Snow in the Desert is the TV series. I, I think that this short film um, easily is just it's there. The, the TV template is there. Yes, Chema, I, I oh. this this is mine too. This is mine as okay. well. That because of all the things that I mentioned, like there's just. They kind of said it in a way that, like, let's find out about what who Snow is. Like, there's episodes mm-hmm. right there. Who is this regenerative human being? Or maybe he's not a human being? I mean, I don't fucking know. Who is Snow? How did he arrive here? What is this planet right. about? Who are the who are the mercenaries and the people that are after him? Um, who are the, you know, um, his uh, companion, Herald? What is her story? How did she become... I know we get a little bit of how she became, like, augmented and disfigured, but, like... Like I need, there's so much that we could open up. This feels like, again, this probably feels like more like a mini series, but like, it feels mm-hmm. like I would watch 10 to 12 episodes of this. Oh yeah. Without a doubt, dude. Like this is something that you're right. Episodes develop who this guy is. There's always somebody who could want his head. You know, the guy's a regenerative guy. So there's, a, there's gotta be a whole bunch of people that are trying to get what he has. There's always somebody that could come back from his past this world is so goddamn big. There's all these places that he can go to. Mm. It's like so somebody out there just basically handed you a, um, like, a, like a couple paragraphs of a short story to get you going and everything. And it couldn't be designed any better for a television show. There's the romance yep. element, action, there's mystery, there's room for a lot of surprises, cool locations, like production value and everything. Like this one is, it's just like this one. I think is just almost like the most templatey of all the um, yeah. the films in the the Love Death Robots collection. This one, this one almost felt like a pilot that we were watching. Almost, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I could, yeah. I could see that for sure. Like they were. This was one like from this series where they're like, "Hey guys, like we might be making something you want to buy. Yep. Check it out." Exactly. This one almost felt like a pilot, and I would, you know what, and I would. 
I would 100% keep this as animation too. That yeah. I, I think you would lose a little bit in translation if you try to do this live action. Yeah, I, I think people would really just see it as Mandalorian or something like yep. that. You know, just the, the way that the setting is. There's too much um, visual similarity and the Mandalorian is just mm-hmm. like too popular right now for I think people to like differentiate it if it was a live action. Thing. Yeah, yeah, ex- absolutely. Um, so yeah, we're in agreement there. Snow in the Desert, the TV show. Let's get on it, Showtime, or someone. Come on, let's go. Right, yeah. How, how about your feature? Okay, so the feature... Um, going with the very, very first one I saw, Automated Customer Service, mm-hmm. um, the short film is basically like, it's basically the middle. So we <laughs> could show a whole bunch of things like leading up to, um, leading up to, you know, the, the purchasing of like, yeah. one of these machines and everything. And I'm not going to lie, if this was a movie, it would be something like kind of on the cornier side, like, oh, a, sure. um, like, you know, an old guy keeps forgetting to, like, close the door, and that's a visual representation of him aging. So he buys technology. The technology goes wrong. And in the end, he just decides to become less reliant on technology as a form of, like, a statement about, yeah. like, you know, everybody put down your phones and stuff. Um, so, like, I think that that's pretty much built in right away. So, but, like, no joke. You have you have the beginning. The short film is kind of like this rise of the machines. And then you have these old people, like, running away, like, driving away into the sunset at the end well let's see them fucking take the power back you know so that right there we need to see the third act still like what is going to happen once these old people get together yep. and realize that they're not going to be pushed around by their cuisinards you know so like um <laughs> so that one is one that um i think like as the short film it really works it was fantastic it, it like is all of a couple degrees shy of being like a, a perfect actually perfectly executed short film mm-hmm. and um I just think that like they gave us in that perfectly executed short film a a snip of what could be a much larger Pixar animation thing to come out in 2026. Yeah, I I I'm with you on this one that this that there there is room for a very funny comedy, you know, it a very funny comedy and commentary on old people and technology and right. our rely you know, our reliance on technology in general but also like old people trying to use technology which is continuously frustrating for me. Um, right. Chum has heard my complaints about people that I work with. Um, so like, yeah, like there's, uh, this is, you're right. Like, it's almost like we got the middle portion of a slightly longer movie of like a TV length movie, um, mm-hmm. is kind of what we already got. So it just, it feels like you're, you're already like lined up to sort of, yeah, how does this end? And how did we get here? It just feels like it's pretty, two fairly easy steps to make this into, uh, to stretch this into more like a full hour, you know, like a full episode of like a TV movie. Yeah, and telling you like these people really did a great job of like laying down some fun, some foundation. And if like just like snow in the desert, this is it's very templatey. And I could see somebody like going around being like, okay, maybe we can expand upon this. Like there's mm-hmm. a market here, you know, to like uh, for older people and senior citizens. I think would see this. Kids would see it. It's like it's almost got a built-in audience on so many levels. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think so. And of course, Pixar would do it 100. percent Probably, probably yeah. be less uh, tasing and murdering of old men, but you know, right? <laughs> still there. Who knows? Maybe they're trying to get edgy with uh, with uh, Disney now taking over and everything. Like, that's we true. We just need to make that step for killing humans now. That's true. That's true. Um, so oddly enough, for my feature, I went with Life Hutch um, because I think that the I think that there's a really interesting way you could expand this um, because, like you said, like as much happens and as Tense is like a, a lot of the moments in, in this short are, it just feels like there could be more. 
right? Like, I could envision this being... I can envision this sort of being, like... I, I don't think we necessarily need more people. But, like, I need this sort of cat and mouse to last a lot longer. And I could see this being a movie where, like, the life hutch is significantly bigger. Right? Like, it's it's like a full base that's been abandoned or something. Um, or like a, you know, research station, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The lab, basically. But something bigger than, the, than like, this life support unit. Um, so, like, so the, our, our protagonist, Terrence, played by Michael B. Jordan, would actually have, like, places to go and hide. That there would be different, like, sets that we could use for how is he going to escape this, um, you know, this, um, I don't even know what the fuck he, this type of robot is, but um, sort of this... What should be this robot that should be there to assist him that's now trying to kill him because of a programming error um, or, you know, malfunction, whatever you want to call it. Um, there'd be different ways for him to avoid it. There'd be different ways for that machine to try to get after him. So it, it would almost be like, um, have you ever seen the movie? Um, I think it's called Red Planet. Oh, God, I'm. I'm aware of this okay. for sure. I don't think I've seen it, but I'm I'm aware of the movie. Where it's like Val Kilmer and uh, can't remember who I'm forgetting here. I think Benjamin Bratt's in it and someone else. Um, where they spend a significant portion of the movie dodging this um, dodging this machine that they brought with them that is stuck in like a war game scenario, and you know like because they're on the planet Mars, uh, there's like more space for them to go to try to avoid her. Uh, they call, I think it's called Amy is the name of the, the robot. And I'm kind of envisioning something similar, but like in, like he is enclosed in this thing that he can't get out. So I, mm-hmm. I think there's there's room to expand this into a solid 90 minutes, 100 minutes. Um, you know, with that being the biggest chunk, how does he avoid this robot? Where does he hide? How does he trick it? How does he ultimately kill it? But I think you could even start the movie, you know, it's it starts off with him essentially, you know, his ship being blown up in like this war or whatever and crash lands and, you know, has to escape to this hutch for, for life support. You can even start the movie showing one of these like robots, helping them, helping him fight this war, do whatever. So we get like a long look at like what it's supposed to be doing. And then we flip it, flip the script on the second half to show like what's going wrong. No, that's right. Because if I'm not mistaken, when he walks in, the the robots busted moment number one. Right? Yeah, like it's, correct. Yeah, you're right. There's the whole the turn is like the selling point there. Like what happens to make this robot go nuts or whatever. Like the 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 transformation of good robot to bad robot, even though it may be like instantaneous or whatever. But some kind of thing to just give the robot a little bit more. You know, like I said, this this thing, in my opinion, needed a, a little bit more on a bunch of different fronts and any type of more situation with the, the set, you're right, give him a, the opportunity to like hide somewhere. Let us feel like that his life is threatened for longer than five minutes, you know, right. like in some type of like hiding scene, like even just beyond the whole him and his face and the the scanning of him and like the, the matrix green and all that, like the, um, just some kind of intent, like almost like the, the Raptors in the kitchen type thing, you know, yeah. just let him avoid this thing, build a little bit of tent, some uh, tension and stuff. And then let's, you know, let's milk this thing for all it's worth. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I love that, that part where that, where the robot steps right in his fucking hand, just shattering his fingers. And mm-hmm. he's got to keep, you know, obviously he's got to keep quiet and like not freak out. I would love to have more of that, please. That was great. Yeah. That was a great moment. And like the look, the look on his face as he's trying not to fucking scream because his fingers have just been shredded to pieces is fantastic. I want there if there was literally even if even if they kept this as a short, 
expanded this to five another five minutes and gave me more of that, this would be really great. Yeah, of course. Oh God, yeah, of course. Without without a doubt. Yeah, it's like I said, just needed more. Yep. More, more, more. All right, Chema. So we're we are at the end of this uh, of this episode. I just have a couple of quick follow up questions for you, just off the cuff here. Um, yeah. Which ones? Which ones from season one would you like to see, or which one could just be a single one? Would you like to see get a makeover for season two? Like if it basically if you could transport one from season one, pull it and give it the sensibilities of season two, which one would you do it? Okay. I guess like I'm going to go with one that I needs the most work and that's a uh, soul Su- soul suckers easily. I think that needed to be revamped entirely. Um, whether, you know, I don't necessarily don't think it fits the mold of season two. So I'm going to give you like a little bit yeah. of a, a better answer and stuff here, but I, that is my number one um, candidate for, for some um, re- revamping and everything like that. And then when it comes to something that could be an all out facelift, that is, on the more sciencey fiction side, let me get to my uh, list of stuff here. I am gonna go with let's go with suits because suits okay. was actually really fucking fun. At it times. was fun, like yeah. it, it really was. The problem is, is it just like was very very predictable yeah. and um, just kind of a whole lot of the same. And I'm watching the these monsters and I'm like, okay, which was gonna be the first one to get knocked down and all this other right. stuff. So. I think that um, they could basically uh, minimalize suits and crop it down a little bit more. Maybe it'd just be about one farmer's struggle and everything mm-hmm. like that instead of all of these farmers. And I think that um, there may actually be a way to work in some like some more like highbrowy type stuff in terms of like maybe what the the aliens are there for. Maybe they're after the crops. Maybe that becomes a symbol of something. Yeah, could be for sure. I that's that's a really good one actually that I think could be. I, I like that idea. Why don't we just focus on the one farmer and his family instead of involving all of them? Um, yeah, it just it, it was too much like Pacific Rim when the others started to get yeah. involved. And if you want to show them at the end, like the like the single farmer fought them all off, and like here come the reinforcements at the very end to sort of give you an idea that like, hey, this is a known problem, and we have right. ways to combat it. Like that could have been a thing, something they did. So I like that a lot, dude. I I just real quickly, I agree with Sucker of Souls. First off, please change the fucking title of that. It's it's yes. awful. Um, right. But like, dude, that that one feels like, man, we could have made a really fucking creepy vampire-esque movie um, mm-hmm. if we just changed the fucking way it looked. Um, right. Mm-hmm. It's just so simple. It's so simple. Um, dude, I, I really think I would have loved to have seen the season two version of Beyond the Aquila Rift. Like, I really mm-hmm. think that that would have been outstanding. If, not that you don't have to, not that you don't, have to include a sex scene or not that you don't have to like you could still make Madeline Knight look literally unbelievably good looking but like the focus needs to be taken away from there and I know had they done that in season had this been in season two we wouldn't have even we would not be talking about this as much as we're talking about it that's right yeah I think season two and like the maturity that the show got in these couple years and everything that would have been a completely different thing. And I, I even think it might've been one of those like super deep, like going into the mind of like the, the of Tom, the lead yeah. character. And it could have just been a like all out, like wild and crazy semi surrealistic piece and all that. But um, 
they just didn't offer that. They opted for sex and uh, Daughtry song or whatever, yep. whoever sings that song. <laughs> right. Um, and just lastly here, what did you, uh, did you notice anything about your own taste in animation in this, in terms of this animation here? Because we never, ever cover animation. Like almost. Never. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you asked that because the one thing I did notice is that um, I leaned more with the CGI stuff. Yeah. Like the, the the really more like defined CGI stuff. And the, if it looked like humans out of like Call of Duty or like a video game or something, I was all about that. And I, I guess like the man, I guess I hate to say this, but like part of me may have moved beyond like looking at cartoons and stuff. And like even like the, the animated stuff I do watch now, which is minimal. I mean, it's, I don't watch all that t- t- much TV to begin with. But um, if it is animated, I mean, it's like I mean, we're talking like a royal we of like animated stuff, yeah. you know, and um, I there are people out there that absolutely love it, you know, that they love cartoons and they love animation. And like like part of me really does like animation, but I'm just like not super hardcore into it. And so I guess the more you can make your animation lifelike. That's what I'm all about. I'm either all about lifelike animation or just super ridiculously crazy shit. Yeah, I think I'm with you on this one. I think it has one that has to do with the fact that you and I both just like, like, I I, I relate better to human looking characters. Yes. And so like when something isn't very human looking, if I'm supposed to identify in some emotional way with it, like it's hard. Um, it is. And not that, and not that animation can't do that. Like, Bojack Horseman is one of my favorite shows. It's all animated, and it is very emotional at times. Like it, it really is like a fucking. It's it's a for sure. It's a comedy, but there are some serious dramatic episodes of Bojack Horseman. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, there's, I mean, it's like a, it's an anthropomorphic horse. But I mean, like it's still, it, he's still not like I, he has enough human. I guess enough human characteristics that like I kind of put that to the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah, of course. But when I want, like, something impactful and dramatic, I need to see, like, real human people. But I do notice that all of my favorite comedy ones tend to be the ones with more wacky, unorthodox um, uh, animation styles. Right. It's it's definitely a more of a place for comedy. And, like, man, I agree. You hit that right on the head. Like, if I'm trying to make an emotional connection... It's just a lot easier for me to do it if there's some type of like humanistic element to it. And like with with Bojack and stuff like that, it's it's a fucking Will Arnett's voice. Like there's not there's not like any specific way Bojack is supposed to talk. You know what I'm saying? It just sounds like a guy talking, you know, in a voice that you and I are familiar with, no less. So it's going to be a little bit easier to establish some type of connection to that because like I said, there's no horse specific dialogue. He doesn't talk like Yoda does. And it's like, I said, it's a familiar voice, but like if you're trying to have me like develop an attachment to like, I don't know the Smurfs like, or like uh, the animated X-Men show or not yeah. that's a bad example, but like, um, I can't even, I could like Aqua Teen Hunger Force or whatever. Like it's just not really going to happen because it's, you know, there's a show about, fries in a paper cup <laughs> you know what i'm saying right so, like i it's just it doesn't have it doesn't have some of like the initial like criteria type stuff for me to like really like develop uh, any kind of connection with those characters yeah it, it, exactly dude there's 
to sort of put uh, to to put at least for at least in my end here to put like a you know to put a bow on this kind of idea. I just watched this um, this animated show on Prime um, from Robert Kirkman called Invincible. I don't know if you've seen it. I'm aware of this show. Okay. Yes. Um, it's basically the entire cast of The Walking Dead is in it, um, <laughs> putting voices to yeah. it. Um, <clears throat> but um, it's it's a very it's it's more '90s style um, 3D animation. Like it it looks okay. like it's from the '90s almost, um, with some like updated touches and stuff. But it it, it it just kind of looks like that. And this is super fucking violent, like super fucking violent. It it gets kicked off at the end of the first episode. It is really fucking grisly, and it's just like it'll it, like I'm lost in it. Like I don't feel the violence. Because it's not like real looking. I'm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people getting their fucking heads crushed, and like right. brains popping out and bones splattering everywhere, and it just like it. It almost it just looks funny to me. Yeah. So I'm not like getting the emotional weight of like a main character that we're introduced to, like another superhero getting completely obliterated. Like, it just doesn't have the same emotional impact because it's not real enough looking. Oh yeah, it's the same way with the the violence in, in Kill Bill Volume One, which is real people, but it's like, hey, a head gets chopped off, and then all of a sudden, a singular right. stream of blood shows up and stuff. Right. So it's like because of the way that they present the violence, there's no way in hell you're going to make an emotional connection to it because you could watch like uh, you could watch Game of Thrones or something, or maybe even something a little bit more realistic in terms of blood and all that stuff, where you are going to make an emotional connection with it and stuff. It's just because it's. Um, because it's a more realistic yeah. presentation of violence. Yeah, I like just, and I know we're continuing on, even though I said I wasn't going to say anymore. Um, just <laughs> like thinking about like in Snow in the Desert when he has it that showdown with the Mercs, and like, dude, that's fucking violent. Like these people are getting their limbs blown off, heads blown off. There's fucking there's blood flying everywhere. It mm-hmm. that felt more visceral and impactful than watching in Invincible, watching like literally someone get torn limb from limb, limb from limb. Yeah, of course. That's right. And that just shows how great of a presentation the snow in the desert was in terms of the, the, the appearance of the product and everything. Yeah. That animation was good enough to connect with the with like us as viewers emotionally because, you know, it did a really great job of presenting those kinds of elements like like violence and sex and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's it, Chema. We did the damn thing. Uh, any Any final observations, comments or anything else before we wrap up? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I loved this short film idea. This is great. I I personally need to enrich my knowledge of short films even more. And um, something like this was just just such a cool like thing to do. Just so off kilter. Just so different than picking three random movies out of thin air and stuff. Like this was a really awesome way to do movie May. I I agree. This was a lot of fun. I'm I'm glad that we went with this. Um, and I'm glad that like two kind of I don't getting out of our comfort zone in two different ways, you know, with the short films, um, maybe things that we wouldn't have watched. I mean, again, I like short films, but I don't necessarily know that I would have found some of the ones that you had. Um, fuck. I don't even know if I would have watched some of the ones that I found. Um, otherwise. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then in addition to, to cap it off, like talking about animation again, something we don't never really normally do was just sort of like another like way to get out of the comfort zone that I found. I really, really enjoyed yeah, it was cool to have the challenge and everything and cool to broaden the horizons a little bit. And 
now like um when i'm randomly asked by hipsters in la if i've seen love death and robots i actually have an opinion on it it's not just a sign i saw a couple weeks ago (laughs) so like so like yeah this is like i'm telling you this this product that netflix is putting out i just hope they keep doing it right because this could be really special i mean not just as far as a way to get netflix viewership but as a way to maybe like launch the careers of, of people that um, you know, like up and comers and stuff, this could be a way to get people more integrated into Hollywood with, yeah. with different filmmakers and everything like this has the potential to be something that goes above and beyond just a collection of, you know, short films. Absolutely. This could really launch that Michael B. Jordan kid's career. I know. God, he's <laughs> like, he's so talented, but he just like doesn't do anything. I know. I he's know. literally yeah, in insane. everything that I've seen. Like, it feels like he's in everything right now. <laughs> Right, he's uh, he's supposed to be a, the new Superman or something. They're talking I'm, about. I've heard that as well. Yeah, <laughs> and like I got to tell you, I'm I'm very much welcome to that idea. Let's fucking let's do it up. Absolutely. All right, Chubby, you want to lead us out of here? Yes, you bet, dude. Everybody, thank you so much for uh, this year's edition of Movie May and the Occasionalist Short Film Festival. I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys had a lot of fun taking this trip with us. Adam Shemalewski, Matthew Pagel, we're the Occasionalists, and we will see you next time. Thank you.